Welcome everyone Welcome. to Coffee Break on Unsafe Ooh. Space. Welcome all unpersons, wrong thinkers, crime thinkers, uh, I don't know, ruffians, uh, ne'er-do-wells, all 10K of you. Uh, I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, uh, who you may not recognize because she's following the mask <laughs> rule, Carrie Smith. <laughs> Hi, Carter. How are you? Her. I don't know. That <laughs> Carrie. That. <laughs> yes, uh, I've got quite a mask. A mask uh, we have a mask requirement now, and in, in Austin has said they're going to start fining people $2,000 if they don't wear it, which, uh, okay, so I've been wearing it on occasion if there's a store I really want to go into that, you know, that wants me to wear it or whatever. But uh, I really, you know, you know how I feel. I agree with you about the government imposing masks, forcing masks on people, fining people. What happens if you don't pay the fine? Do you go to jail? I don't know. But I won't pay the fine. And and at this point, you know, I don't I'm not going to wear it anymore because I mean, I was choosing to wear it to certain places. But now that it's being forced, no. So (laughs) you have the same reaction. I do. (laughs) Oh, I have to. No, I'm no, I'm not gonna. I'd rather get COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me the, the, the government told me what I had to know. I, I went, uh, I actually, I wore this mask. Uh, I've worn it three times now. <laughs> <laughs> I just I still love the story you told on Monday about like, I have this kind. Uh, I have this one. Yeah, I wore this one. Uh, the best was at Target. The, uh, there was a, a, again, you can't go in pissed off and mad because if somebody gets upset, I do have another, if there's somebody who's legitimately, legitimately freaking out or whatever, I will put the other one up maybe. So I have the other one, but I haven't had to use it yet. But, uh, the, the, you have to go in with a smile, just trying to make people smile and laugh. And this woman with three kids just burst out laughing. And she was like, she to her kids, she's like, we, you need to get, we need to get you a mask like that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I anyway. Well, uh, yeah, I like, I like it, and I like the, um, I, I like the attitude of that. I have this kind, and just you know, see what they say. So, um, well, but- yeah, for the most part, most reactions are if you if you're gonna play around and just kind of be have fun with it and. Cool. Um, you're going to make people laugh, but you're also going to, and I haven't pissed anyone off yet. I'm sure I will if I keep playing with this once in a while, but, um, but mostly people don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. And maybe they think I'm crazy or something. So they just kind of are like, they just act like nothing's going on. And I'm in the Batman mask, like ordering my coffee. And they're like, (laughs) (laughs) cause they think you're just insane at some point. They're just like, Oh, this is, this lady's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and, you, uh-huh. and I don't. I'm just like him. I'm just paying for my coffee, you know. Like that's <laughs> almost that's almost the funniest part. That's almost funnier than when people crack up is when they're just like act like nothing's different. Because <laughs> they don't they don't want they don't know what to say to you. They don't know what to say. No. <laughs> um. So so Carrie though we should say I so my wife got me this little weird, which shoulder is it over this shoulder to celebrate. We have 10k. We have 10,000 subscribers now. Uh, this is Woo-hoo, a big deal. Welcome new people. Welcome. Yeah. And can I, can I shout out to a couple people? Uh, Tabitha, Tabitha sent us both gifts, which you haven't gotten yours yet, but I showed you earlier what it was. Tabitha, uh, knitted you a shawl, which she calls the dolly. Do you want me to show it on screen? Yeah, let me see. All right. All right. 
Uh, here's this the, is so here's the shawl. sweet. Yeah. And I need a shawl because now my AC is working again. Every day is a challenge, and now it's cold. Thank you, Tabitha. That's super sweet. Yeah. I love Dolly Parton. So I, I, I have to. That. Yeah, I got to package that up and send and send that to you. And she knitted me a tie. I'm wearing a. Someone did say it is a knitter's podcast. I've heard. So I've got my knitted tie. Thank you, Tabitha. I, I think um, that's the best tie you've ever worn. I know. I mean, <laughs> how do you how do you wear another tie after that? How do you go back? Maybe I'm going to have to wear this. Uh, Tabitha, you better start knitting because I'm going to need more ties. Um, also, Heather sent us – I actually, we it's been a while since you made this joke. And so I think a lot of subscribers just didn't even hear you make this reference. And I don't even – do you recall the details of when you used this phrase? It was about some well, social used, justice mob. I, I used it online, that. yeah, and I used it online. My point was that, and then I, I think I might have said it on the show too, but yeah, my point is that um, if you're just repeating tenets of a cult or of an ideology and you haven't given thought to what those tenets are and you're joining a mob and attacking people and you can't even articulate what it is you're attacking them for. If you're accusing them, like in the knitting world on Instagram, where they go after people who don't speak social justice ideology and they call them completely awful, untrue names. Like they call Maria Tuscan a white nationalist. Right. So, and there's no basis for that whatsoever. It's a horrible slur to call someone that. And it, and it actually belittles white supremacy to such a degree it makes it hard to actually fight racism um, because you're calling people who are not white supremacists, white supremacists. But anyway, if that's what you're doing and you can't even, some of these people, you ask them, oh, really, what did he or she say that was racist? And they don't know. They're just following a mob with a pitchfork. So I was like, you're just a puppet with a pitchfork. Right, well, so yes, so that's the mug. Puppets with a pitchfork uh, that Heather Heather sent us. So she sent two mugs. Aww. One for each of us. Thank you, and So Heather. you are going to get – I got to mail them out to you. You're going to get a mug and a shawl. So thank you, guys. Um, you know, Carrie, I was looking at uh, – the 10K thing is a big milestone for us. I mean, I know for bigger channels it's not a big deal. But, for you know, we've been slogging – we've been slogging at this for a while. We're not really marketing gurus, so we haven't really been marketing ourselves. We're just putting out content and um, kind of letting this grow organically so far. And – um I looked this up. So according to YouTube, I created this channel in 2014, but I didn't do anything with it for like two years, at least. I didn't do anything. Oh, uh, yeah. I was looking at the creation date. It was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I had some idea. Um, and then I put out, the first video I put out was on March 12th, 2016, and it was audio only. Um, I had two friends in it. We talked about Obama and his speech at the South by Southwest, he gave a speech because we were worried about privacy. It was the, remember the iPhone privacy uh, debacle, like the FBI wanted the iPhone, uh, the Apple to give them access to the iPhones and there's all this kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, it's a, that that's when, it, that's when the episode came out. Um, I did mention social justice as a threat in March, 2016. So that's good, uh, but it's prior to Trump's election. Um, there was only two comments, one of which was a bot. The other commenter on that video is Beverly. Shout out to Beverly for being the only actual person 
<laughs> watched that and commented on it. I'm pretty sure we had maybe two subscribers that weren't me. Like I probably had two different accounts and subscribed, so it would look like it was more than one subscriber. Um, but that was it. There's like like nothing. Um, and then uh, and then the first live stream I did with my friend Katrina in 2018, and there were that was like I think there was less than maybe 10, 15 episodes for that, like that entire two year span, like nothing going on. But then shortly after that, you came on in October and, and I reconnected with you and you were like, Hey, you had just written this essay. That was, I think Jordan Peterson read it. It was circulating around. You were losing friends left and right on Facebook. And I was like, Oh, this is really interesting. I reached out to you and your first appearance, I think was on October 3rd, 2018, you did a live stream and we called that chat wow. with former SJW, Carrie Smith. And then you decided to embark on yeah. this incredible journey with me. And uh, we went from six subscribers, <laughs> I don't know what it was, to 10,000. So um, that's the that's the history. Carrie's gotta go, she's got a dog problem, I think. Um, but that is the history for those of you who are New? Sorry, this little right. dog is barking. I had to yeah, yeah. step yeah. away. Yeah. Anyway, that was the long journey. Uh, um, you'll notice that the early shows are called 751. That was the original name I gave this before I switched it to Unsafe Space. And the book of the month, the book that we're reading, this book club, is Atlas Shrugged. And the key to why I named it 751 can be found in this book. Uh, maybe we should, I'll give a prize to the first person who tells me why. Um, and it's a horrible name, so we switched. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but I saw that you posted something about 10K subscribers and coming on this journey with you. And uh, do you know that meme from Mean Girls, the meme where they're in the car, it says, get in, the, get in, the, get in loser, we're going shopping. And no. then people have taken it and they've run with it and they've made all kinds of hilarious memes with pic other pictures of people in cars saying, get in loser, and then they change the, the bottom okay. okay so it's it's a really funny meme so i made us. oh no the postman has I'm been with us since the beginning <laughs> carrie's dogs have been an integral part of the show i think since since the beginning basically um and there you go i assume she's going to tell me about this awesome meme why don't i do a super chat while i'm waiting uh ken Lipson, thank you, Ken. Ken says, this is five bucks for Carrie's mask. Where's my Captain America mask? I don't need a Captain America mask, Ken. Does he wear a mask, actually? Maybe he does. Does Captain America uh, even, I don't okay. even, I don't know. Does he wear a mask? Yeah, he's, I think he has like a helmet. I'm oh. showing that I, I don't, I'm not really into Marvel. I'm kidding. I, need a <laughs> I, I, I just don't know much about Captain America. Um, Hey, so I know yeah. you're doing super chats. Thank yeah, you, do your meme. But really quick, so my meme was, I should have it. I'm not prepared to show you. But it was Thelma and Louise in their car. And I says, never Get watched Thelma and Louise. I don't know what, I don't my know that. Gosh, Carter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, well, then you're, it's not going to be as funny, but it says, Get in, loser. We're quitting our jobs to fight social justice Marxism. Which is funny because we basically suicided we our careers. And yes. they suicided <laughs> Sorry to spoil you, spoil you, but you've had adequate time to watch the movie. Um, they do drive off the cliff at the end. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not upset that there might be a spoiler. Uh, okay. I never intend to watch the movie, so uh, 
That's fine. And I think I did know that they killed themselves. Uh, but I think I learned that from a Simpsons episode, honestly. Um, yeah. Uh, we did. We did. We kind of torpedoed our careers. You, why don't, why don't you tell your, like, story a little bit? You were full-on, you were like a career social justice warrior. You were one oh, of those people yeah. that was getting paid to spread this. Uh, is this a, are we going to, are we doing a um, welcome to unsafe space for new people, I guess? I guess. I don't know. I just figured so, since, yeah. like, it's a nice time yeah. to step back and reflect. I don't know. Well, um, for, yeah, so 20 years, I would say, about two decades, I pushed social justice very hard. It was my, I mean, in retrospect, I call it a cult. It was, it functioned like a religion. And yeah, I was a comedy manager. I had my own company. That's where I met uh, Carter uh, in the entertainment industry. I had my own company. My partner managed musicians. I managed comedians. And um, I mostly worked with comedians who shared my social justice belief system for the most part. And I worked to push it. Like a lot of people my age who were indoctrinated at the same time I was in college, we pushed it in our careers. That's why you see. That's why you see it everywhere in entertainment and journalism and academia and the people working at big social. You know, they were all indoctrinated around the same time I was. Um, so we were kind of the OG social justice warriors. You know, all these newbie social justice warriors who are popping up now. And uh, if you if I ha if I'm in a comment thread somewhere and I disagree with them, and and it's it's sometimes funny to me where they try to, oh well, you just haven't heard the new definition of racism yet let me explain it to you I'm, right it's prejudice plus power i'm like no oh, i i was i was preaching that two decades ago when you weren't even born like it's, right. i know that definition and i thoroughly reject it i thoroughly reject your redefinition um but yeah i used to on early feminist message boards i did a lot of preaching and converting i was on an old board called chick click i don't know if anybody in our audience any feminists are old enough to remember chick click i was on the ms magazine forums but then in my career, like I said, I've worked with comedians who, for the most part, with comedians who preached my ideology. And at the height of my career, um, we had a show. We, we did a show. I produced a show on FX called Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell, who was one of my clients. And uh, Chris Rock was one of our other executive producers. And I really was very proud of it because I felt like, you know, most of the comics we hired as writers, some of whom I also represented, also shared this ideology. And so it was sort of like the first overtly social justice comedy show. I mean, everything we did was filtered through that lens and we did some good stuff. Even now uh, I've looked back and I've, I've had to admit there were some good things about it. You know, now that I've, I don't adhere to that belief system anymore. I have to remind myself that there were still some good things about it, but, but overall I think it was dangerous in when not dangerous, dangerous, but, I think it set a precedent. And then you started seeing a lot of other late night shows just become overtly social justice. They had already always been left, but they they really moved over into this um, preaching the same belief system. And um, I think that's been really detrimental for comedy, <laughs> for laughter. Well, someone and in chat said, isn't comedy and social justice mutually exclusive? I know people say that, but it's, a, it, I mean, that's a funny joke. It's true. It's not, but you can get, you can change minds through art. That's what, in good art, I think, good music, good comedy yes. is about um, entertaining, but it's also about uplifting and um, highlighting truth, like revealing truth. That's what I, that's what I believe. 
but you can also use it for evil. <laughs> Put it that yeah, way. It can be, you can art can be hugely it, influential. Yeah. Yes, you you yeah. can use it to push belief systems. I mean, look at the propaganda, um, all, all the propaganda art that was coming out of the Soviet Union. I mean, and so um, I think what you see a lot of a lot of these late night comics doing now is a form of propaganda. And there's not as much laughter as there used to be. It's mostly clapter, people clapping because they agree with the belief system and they're like, woohoo, you know. But think about think about someone like Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert, when the, his new show, the one he's on now, when he came out, uh, some of our old writers from our show went to work on that one because we had just been canceled. They went to work on that one. So I know he has a social justice influence in the writer's room, but also you can see it on screen. I mean, he used to be, I thought, hilarious. And when he did, Mm -hmm. he used to be funny. He used to play a character making fun of Republicans. He was still on the left. He was making fun of a Republican. He was doing like a, an impression of kind of a Bill O'Reilly or a Tucker Carlson, or he was doing an impression of a right wing talk show host and, or late night news host. It was hilarious. But now he's moved. By the way, even if you disagreed with what he was saying, it was still funny because of his execution. And like he was poking fun. That was like, there was some legitimacy to the fun that he was poking. It was like, oh, there's some authenticity there. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But now he's moved so far into the propaganda. I mean, it's hard for me to watch anything of his anymore. Those in our audience, the knitters will remember this. And if you didn't see it um, and you want to see it, I think there's a clip of it on YouTube. When the Ravelry thing happened, when Ravelry, the big knitting site, banned all Trump supporters and said you can't talk. And they had political forums on there. So it wasn't just knitting. They would have forums where you could talk about other things, right? They said, okay, we're going to continue to allow – we're not closing down any of these other subjects, these forums. We're just going to close down any that mention Trump and you can't be for Trump. And they falsely said if you're for Trump, you're for white supremacy, which is an egregious horrible dehumanizing lie it dehumanizes people and um when they did that stephen colbert did a segment where he cheered it on he cheered on censorship and dehumanization of 63 million people as whites and calling those people white supremacists and his audience cheered it on and watching that clip is chilling to me it's chilling because that's not liberal that that, that to me is illustrative of where comedy went. So, okay, to, just to bring it back around. So then, so I was in this ideology for two decades. And then um, after the 2016 election, I started questioning things. Actually, before, it was probably in the summer of 2016. And I've talked about this before, so people know, but it was, it was emotional is kind of what woke me up first. Emotional things like watching Trump supporters be attacked really shocked me and um but there were other things that I started reading and I and and I really once he won I was floored once Trump won I was floored and I was trying to figure out why he won and I started listening to other I got out of my echo chamber a little bit I had built this very closed off social justice warrior echo chamber online that's all I read that's the only people I interacted with like a lot of them do it's very cult like so I started opening up like who I was willing to talk to and listen to and consider. And I started realizing cause I wanted to understand why he won. And I couldn't believe when I t- tried to talk about it online, um, 
my social justice friends were immediately on the offensive. You can't talk about, you know, he won because of racism and sexism, period. It's like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. No, I think he might have won for this reason or this reason. Or I think people might have voted for him for this. And if we can't figure out why he won, how are we going to prevent it next time? So it, I was really uh, taken aback by how it you, it was verboten. You weren't supposed to you weren't supposed to investigate this. And um, and anyway, yeah, I wrote my first essay trying to explain why I was leaving social justice. Once I realized what it was, and it took me a while, took me about a year, and it took me six months of that year. I knew what I wanted to say, but I was too afraid. It took me six months to get over my fear. And then uh, I wrote my first essay. It's still a medium. You can read it. It's called On Leaving the SJW Cult and Finding Myself. And that, I think, is when you found me. Because suddenly I was saying different things. I had always been known as the feminist manager. Like I was the total SJW manager. And then, yeah, things changed. Yeah, well, we were like (laughs) Facebook friends, but not friends. Um, Yeah. Because we met through work. And and actually it was something weird that I think is maybe like maybe you're interested. I was kind of new to the entertainment industry. I was more in the tech world. And like at the time, at least, I wasn't used to people like – for business meetings, like, oh, let's connect on Facebook. Like, that's a, that's like a music industry, maybe comedy. Like, I don't know. Like, that's an entertainment thing. Like, engineers wouldn't be like, let's connect on Facebook. But that was the thing. So it was like connecting with people on Facebook that I was meeting. And I, when I started to see what they were believing, I kind of like just stopped talking on Facebook. I'm like, all right, well, I guess if Facebook's going to be for business, I'm just going to like keep my mouth shut and watch what's going on on Facebook because uh, I don't agree with any of these people. So um, it was shocking when your Facebook feed came up and it was like, here's this, here's this article. And I was, I was like, oh, wow. She's not at all what I thought she was. And it turns out you were what I thought you were, but you changed. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Oh gosh. And Carter, you know, I mean, I led a lot of people down the SJW path. I'm sure. When, when they were not that way, I, I planted the first seeds. And now that, this is what we talk about when you look around and you see all these people who are suddenly speaking my old ideology with fervor, who've never spoken it before. It's probably because someone like me planted the seeds years ago. And now that it's been activated in culture and society at large and every corporation is speaking it, the Democratic Party is speaking it and all those the social media companies are speaking it. The journalists are speaking it. Now, those people who the seeds were planted for them a while back now they're blossoming. And so it's one of the, oh gosh, I look at some of the people I used to work with who were not speaking it back when I was, and now they're just full on died in the wall. And I, you know, what part did I have in that? Would you, would you say that you used, because I find my interaction with social justice warriors, and I'll say of like, not just recent, but like before all this, right? Um, Emotional intimidation seems to be like the number one method for convincing people. When you went out and convinced people, was it emotional intimidation? Like, like there's just this uh, kind of like you can see the fire in their eyes and there's like this just disorientation and like you're evil and, and racist and horrible if you don't believe this. And I'm very passionate about it. And you almost feel like intimidated, like, OK, I guess racism is prejudice plus power now. I'm sorry, I didn't realize like you don't want to be. They're just very um, 
kind of in your face. Was that your method or were you like, here's some facts about why social justice is great? Um, I still retained a lot of the same personality that I, I you know, it's hard to shed a personality. So <laughs> I was probably, I, I think I've told you before, I was more of the good cop. There were like the good cops and bad cops of social justice. Like when you see a mob happen, the bad cops are the, the ones who come in and are just really over the top aggressive and call names, call you names and um, shame you and stuff. I would be the one who eases you into the indoctrination. Who's like a pleasant face of, I was more of like, I understand because because it's still I wanted to understand where people were coming from. I thought I was in the right belief system and I thought they were in the wrong one. And even then I thought like I do now, the best way is to approach them with openness. And so I tried that. I mean, I sometimes got pulled into resentfulness and stuff because SJWism is built on a lot of resentfulness. But, you know, it was very much. Well, I okay. here's an example. I remember advocating on behalf of taking down statues and changing the names of buildings back before it has become before everywhere it cool. like it is now before it was cool. <laughs> and, uh, and the way I did so was with the soft glove approach. It was like trying to explain, it's like, well, okay, even if the name of, uh, I think this had to do with Clemson university. I'm from South Carolina. And I think it was Tillman hall. It might've been, I can't, is that the name? I, anyway, there was, there was a, a place that they wanted to change the name of. And I remember saying, well, even if it doesn't offend you and it means, something positive for you or it's about history for you it does offend if if there are if there are uh black people telling you that it offends them um why would it hurt you to change the name it's not that much of an ask you know and trying to win people over that way and that's that's what the the soft glove approach is like because i really did want them to see and i and that i think is more effective at getting people to listen no matter what you're advocating for. And so I think I was probably pretty good at pulling people over to my belief system. Well, it works and, well yeah. in combination with the bad cop, right? It's the Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. Yes. Like it's, or the, the abuser, right? The, 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 the boyfriend abuser beats you up and then comes home and's like, I'm sorry, baby, I love you. It'll never happen again. And like buys you presents and is really nice. And like, all the, all the presents and niceties might not work as much if you didn't, if it wasn't like, uh, contrasted with like the abuse that happened before you're in this state where, um, you're kind of more receptive to that. So you can like, they can yell and you can swoop in and be like, Oh, don't worry. I can save you from the big bad man. He means well, but he's just really neat, nasty to you. Here's, here's some education. Come, come with me to the dark side. Absolutely. I offer you the redemption of bringing you into the fold and, you know, with love and, yeah. And a lot of times I would talk to people. Okay. This is, this is interesting. Somebody in our te- unsafe space telegram chat, which by the way, we have a telegram chat. If you guys want to join. So we were talking about this a few nights ago. So when I go out into the world now, a lot of, t- a lot of times people just assume if I live in a, you know, if I go to, especially if I'm in Austin where most people are social justice warriors now, or they just assume that I'm a leftist or that I I believe in social justice. They just assume these things and they talk to me as if I do, they do this to my friends as they did. They especially do this to my friend who, uh, who's black and they just automatically assume, or my friend who, uh, 
is Latina and a Trump voter and was in the closet for a long time. And they would just say awful things about Trump voters in front of her, just assuming that she wasn't right. They make these assumptions, right? And that a lot of those assumptions they make are based on identity or maybe the way you dress and stuff too. Who knows? So, so they just assume, and they speak to me as if I'm, they think they're a good person because of this ideology. And so they treat you, um, they, or they treat me like, like, Oh, if they're meeting me, for, uh, they're treating me like you're one of the good ones, like me. You're one of the good people. We all agree on things, and that itself is a tactic. It's like uh, I forget. Yes, there's a it's word called, for it. It's I called forced teaming, and I showed this the other day teaming. about this is my little pre-incident indicator card that I think I took a picture of and put in in Telegram chat. This is for um, predators who would, uh, you know, do bad things to you, like steal your kids or kidnap you or whatever. There's a bunch of pre-incident indicators that can be red flags for predators. And one, the very first one, actually, you can't read this on the show probably, but the very first one is forced teaming, which is um, putting you in their camp in some artificial way with, that has yes. not been pre-established that you actually are in their camp on anything. So like, hey, like uh, you'll be waiting in line, right? And the person next to you will be like, the two, like they'll be, you know, give you a nudge and, and and say some statement that makes it sound like it's you two against the other person in line or you two against yes. the checkout person or whatever. Like that's forced teaming. They're putting you on a team that you didn't voluntarily be on. They're trying to imply that you guys are together in a group and it's one of the red flags for a predator and apparently one of the red flags for a social justice warrior. <laughs> yeah, they're very good at forced teaming. They will do exactly that. That's a great, they, they make you, they'll make you feel it's us against these other mm -hmm. white supremacist patriarchal people or, you know, massages and, and they work on that assumption until you reveal something that lets them know you're not, but see what they're doing when they do that is they're also letting you know, don't reveal something that lets, that, that lets me know you don't agree with me because then you're in the evil camp. Right. They're There's basically definitely a level of intimidation yeah. there, right? Yeah. It's like, there's two camps, good and bad, and you're in the good camp with me. And if you, and unless you say something that lets me know you're not, are you not in the good camp or you're in the evil camp? And so it keeps people from speaking up. I mean, even this happened, somebody in the telegram chat was talking about, you know, just being at a picnic or something with, uh, some couples and one of the wives and one of the couples started t talking about social justice stuff and just assumed everyone agreed right. and he didn't say anything. And I'm not bagging on him for not saying anything, but that's how that works. Then you don't say anything because they're making it seem like we all agree on this and we're all the good people. Yep. So <clears throat> what I like to do now, and maybe you'll frown on this since you just said it's a, a predator tactic, but uh, I like to mess with people's assumptions. And so I'll do the opposite sometimes. I'll just, I'll I just, mean, when you know <laughs> you're going into a hostile environment, it can be funny. Like it's fine. Like I'm not, it's not, right. it, it doesn't make you a bad person doing forced teaming. Yeah. So I'll just see, you know, if I'm meeting people for the first time and we're in a group, um, you know, I might say something just taking for granted that they agree with me, right. even though I know they might not. And, and it, you know, it'll be like, I don't know, we'll talk about something on YouTube. It's like, God, you know, something that I do believe, right? But I was like, God, YouTube, I, it's just getting crazier and crazier. They're just censoring everyone. It doesn't even, you can be a liberal and they're censoring you, right? And they're like, what? Because <laughs> oh, yeah. most yeah. of the time they haven't paid attention. They don't know what I'm talking about. But I give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, we're on the same team, right? It's kind of funny to try it the other way. Yeah. I just assume we all agree, right? You know. Yeah. Or these these social justice people are out of control, right? Like. And yeah. What? The other the other <laughs> thing it does, by the way, is it sets a, up a dynamic where. Um, 
not only do you feel pressure if you disagree, because now you can't just come out as with a different opinion. You have to come out as evil because they've set up a framework in which you're evil, right? Also, if you if it stops you from coming out, there's like a third person there. And because you don't say anything, the third person now is like you've now reinforced that framework. Like, oh, it must be that good people are social justice warriors yeah. and anyone who's not is a bad person. And the third person observes this interaction and it's like, oh, now two people are saying that effectively. No one opposed that. There was no... Where, you know, if you had spoken up, maybe the third person would say, yeah, actually, I wasn't sure about that. And like, maybe they're undecided. But now they feel like, well, this is the way society's going. Um, when I when I first moved to San Francisco, I actually noticed this in a way that didn't harm me because I was on, the, the, quote, their side. But I noticed the Christians will appreciate this. I noticed this because I moved to California. I was an atheist when I moved here. And that was in uh, early, early 2000. And... One thing I noticed right away, which is really weird, is everyone on the street assumed you were an atheist. They would um, make comments oh. about uh, Jesus or Christianity that were disparaging. And um, yeah. I had come from the East Coast where uh, I, and you know, I'm a, not like, not in like a very religious spot, just like a normal spot on the East Coast, right? Where being an atheist was kind of weird and I was used to that. And it was like, most people were Christian and I was kind of the, the weird person. And I noticed when I came to San Francisco that everyone approached, like everyone talked as if it was taken for granted that um, that we were all atheists. And it, and it struck me as odd. And it didn't, like I didn't fight against it because, I, you know, it didn't bother me. I was like, okay, like it, I am an atheist, so that was fine. But now looking back, I can see like, oh, I can imagine what it would be like to be a Christian and move to San Francisco. You would probably feel similar like what you're talking about with the social justice scenario where I better not say anything because everyone is like right. they've, they've made it clear that that's not the right way to think. There, um, yeah. You know, I'm going to give one more example. And you've heard this story before, but this is a great I, I was trying to think of an actual example of this um, and how you can flip the tables on someone. This is when I was working at that shop in Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't say where, but this guy came in. He was from California. And oh, I love we were talking. Story. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's a white guy. And he says to me, um, he was saying how he was thinking about moving to Austin or something. He was maybe he was thinking about leaving the Bay Area. And, he, and he's like, yeah, it's just, you know, where where I'm at. There's, or maybe it was Austin he was saying. He, he said, anyway, he said, but, you know. It's so many white people like and he said it. That's forced teaming. He's saying it as if I'm going to agree, as if that's a bad thing, that yep. there's a lot of white people. And, you know, you would never say that about any other race. It's just that's a <laughs> can you imagine justice. if he came in and he was like, there's so many black <laughs> people here. I don't know. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like nobody would ever. But in social justice world, in social justice belief system, it's impossible to be racist towards what. So you can say right. things like that all the time and have prejudiced beliefs like that. And they they push those prejudiced beliefs. So anyway, he goes, uh, he says it as if I'm going to agree. A white person saying this to another white person. He's like, yeah, but it's just I would think of moving there. But it's just so many white people. And I was like, oh, oh, and I just said, oh, oh, you're racist. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and he he stopped i was and he was like what he was like what and i was like well well i mean you don't want to live around white people it was like a funny we had a very interesting conversation after that he actually didn't get mad i think he was more stunned than anything that i even he's from california it, like that does not compute yeah like, what the hell did you just say yeah and i was and i was like <laughs> 
well, you don't want to live around a lot of white people. You're talking about not living somewhere because of people's race. I was kind of laughing at, like I was smiling, you know, and he, he kind of laughed. He wasn't mad about it. I don't think anybody had ever challenged that kind of an assumption with him. Yeah. It was funny. It was funny. It was a funny interaction. The NPC algorithm just like got to some end point and was like, ah, like, (laughs) I don't know. There's no code to run now. What do I do? Yeah, and I didn't say it in a mean way. You can do it. it was, he was like, oh, but there's so many white people. And I was like, oh, oh, you're racist. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's let's do some super chats here. Because we've, we've got a lot coming in and we're going to fall behind here. Keith the Hat Guy says, is it legal to conceal carry in Texas while wearing a Batman mask? That's a great question, Keith. <laughs> Carrie, is it? I... I think it's not legal. Look, here's here's what I was thinking. If you could totally, why aren't, I, I don't know why there aren't more armed robberies happening now at stores. There might be. But if you're going in with masks on, you know, or even the, even the one they want you to wear, it's like, come on, give me all your money. And here, here where I live, somebody said, if people start rioting and looting, because I live in a little town north of Boston, there, somebody online said, if people start rioting and looting, in your town, they're just going to end up with a bunch of scented candles and aged wine, <laughs> <laughs> which is all that I could rob the stores. Give me all your money and all your scented candles. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna they're yeah. gonna have a precious moments collection when they're done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't all know. right. Um, thank you. Thank you, Keith. Next one is from Dr. K. She says, Carter, you should let Carrie sell whatever merch she wants and let the free market decide. You know, Dr. K, hey. we are both smart enough to not talk about merch today, but thank you for the super chat. <laughs> We're not talking about, I, I will say this though, I'm going to, I'm going to open my own merch shop with some designs that I want that are, that are off brand for unsafe space. So I'm going to have some designs up soon for some of you who asked for certain designs. Anyway, I'll be posting that later. So. Okay. Um, all right. Ken. Uh, Keith, Batman doesn't use guns. That's a good point, Ken. Uh, thank you for the super chat. Just to argue with Keith, um, Batman does not use guns, so oh. the Texas law is irrelevant. Okay, uh, let's see. We've got more super chats. Uh, okay. Sylvia. The next super chat's from Sylvia. Thank you, Sylvia. Uh, Sylvia says, Gretchen, stop trying to make evidence-based epistemology happen. It's not going to happen. I feel like there's context I'm missing here, Sylvia. <laughs> but is Gretchen a reference to the governor of Illinois? Is her name Gretchen? Is that who that is? Oh, yeah. That might be who that is. Uh, so I don't know what she's up to. But I can imagine it probably doesn't uh, involve evidence <laughs> or any sort of rational epistemology. So uh, thank, thank you, Sylvia. Gretchen Gretchen can get very angry, though. So, all right. Um, Little Ragamuffin. Thank you, Little Ragamuffin. Little Ragamuffin has a quote from Steve Rogers, Captain America. Quote, the price of freedom is high. It has always been, and it is a price I'm willing to pay. And if I'm the only one, then so be it. Excellent. Well, we're definitely pay the price for speaking our mind, Thank but it you, is Sylvia. worth it. Uh, all right. Nunya Biz, <laughs> whose name I now appreciate. Nunya Biz, thank you for the super chat, Nunya Biz. Nunya Biz says, congrats on 10K. Oh, You're well on your way to 100K. 
we'll catch the rest of the stream later. Life calls. Well, thank you, Nanyabiz. And uh, yeah, we're on, on our way to 100K. That should be fun. Thank you, Little Ragamuffin. Also, Little Ragamuffin, and thank you, Nanya. Little Ragamuffin has been, um, I've been hearing some positive, here's some positive news, guys. Oh, good. I'm, first of all, if I, if I'm, and I know I'm super late on responding to a lot of people uh, on mess every platform. So if you've messaged me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, I'm sorry. Thank you for your patience and just bear with me. I, I pick days where I try and go through and answer as many as I can. Um, but when I'm, I'm just getting more than I used to get, and I know I've talked about the parents who are, who are getting, who are messaging me looking for advice on how to talk to their kids who are maybe speaking social justice ideology. But, but I'm also getting messages from people across the board, like liberals and progressives, first of all, which is the most interesting. I'm getting messages from conservatives too, but I'm getting messages from liberals and progressives who do not agree with this ideology. I'm getting messages from people who are in all these so-called marginalized groups that the social justice warriors claim to speak on behalf of. I'm, I'm getting messages from trans people, women, black people, gay people, like um, every people who do not feel like this ideology speaks for them and who are trying to figure out or trying to ask for advice on the best way to use their voice. And some of these people, oh, and let's talk about professions. I'm getting messages from comedians now, um, musicians, entertainment execs we talked about, professors, and they're all searching for, some of them are still silent, um, some of them still have fear, or they're trying to figure out how to best use their voice. But the positive thing is they're, they're working on it and they wanna speak. And they're trying to figure out the best way to do that and what they what it is that they want to say. Yeah. And that is so encouraging. And so Little Ragamuffin also said she's starting to hear from people in the sewing community who are now willing to work with her after maligning her for so long, who are also trying to figure out what it is they want to say and how to say it. And so I think a positive thing that's happening is that this ideology may be accelerated too fast, so fast that it's waking up people on the left who do not agree with it. And that's a good thing. So if you yeah, know people like maybe, that, maybe it jumped the shark yeah. and, and so it's not going to get away with, yeah, I, I, that there, there's a possibility that that's true. That does give me hope, Carrie. I, I know I'm the curmudgeon usually yeah. and the pessimist, but there is a possibility that they just, they went too far and people are going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Huh? Yes. This, this it's is not good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, Jen, just real quick. I, I just saw one scroll on by Jen said, are you getting any positive, curious messages from contacts that a month or two ago you wouldn't have imagined? Yes. And let me tell you the other thing I'm getting. This will be interesting for the Christians in the audience. I'm getting messages from people who have just now found God who want to talk to me about that, who I would not you, just like my old self. I would never imagine that I would become a Christian uh, people who I maybe wouldn't have imagined would have found God and who who, who are going to church now. So uh, the atheists may think that's silly, but the, you know, well, for any Well, something social yeah. justice gave you, Carrie, was meaning in life. It's why that it's why you could go be a manager of comedians, but still have a lot of meaning because you had like a greater cause to go for. And um, I think when you start to question that, you start to look for like, okay, well, what's my meaning in life? And it makes sense that people turn to religion as a result of that. Um, just be careful to protect your religion from the social justice convergence that's in the middle of <laughs> happening to it. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. All right. Let's do let's do some more super chats. Uh, <clears throat> Ken Lipson. Thank you, Ken. Ken says, uh, "Can we hear Carter's journey?" Oh, uh, sure. Um, Carter's journey is not. Uh, Carter's journey is not like from the social justice world. Uh, I've been a libertarian. I was a libertarian even though I'm not technically a libertarian now, but I've been that kind of a mindset for 25 years, probably. Um, I did grow up Christian, but I became an atheist about 25 years ago. I've been a libertarian type guy. Um, I moved to California in early 2000 to do a startup. Um, I was in the, I wrote for Capitalism Magazine. I've always liked to write uh, much better than speaking. I'm a much better writer than I am public speaker. Uh, but I've always been kind of <clears throat> pro-freedom, libertarian-minded person, have changed my opinions on some issues. But I was in the tech world for a long time. I was at a startup and, uh, and, then, um, and then did some angel, did a few startups then, did some angel investing, was in the venture capital world. What got me into unsafe space, and the reason I started doing this was um, I, first I just started talking a little bit about it. That was back when, when I, Earlier, I talked about the history of this channel, and I, I it was called 751, and I, I started it and did like a podcast once every six months or something, like nothing, like not much. And that was just because I wanted to talk about stuff. I missed it. I hadn't written, I hadn't been writing for a long time, because um, I, I wrote for Capitalism Magazine, but it had been a long time ago. Um, and I wanted to just, I, something was shifting in the world. I saw there was a little bit more um, radical Marxism happening and the social justice stuff. So I wanted to start talking about it. But what really put me over the edge was... Um, I was running a venture firm and we were going to do our, we invested, it was so <clears throat> we had someone come into our office, actually I should back up, the venture firm was me and my partner who was not white, <clears throat> but he wasn't the right not white apparently. Uh, anyway, uh, we, we had someone come pitch us <clears throat> a business idea. She happened to be black. <clears throat> it was a an illegal idea <clears throat> rarely happens. You don't get people pitching illegal ideas, but so that was fun. It was an illegal idea. <clears throat> it was also stupid. It was also just a stupid idea. And um, so we turned her down. And her response was to start bad-mouthing us in the community. And she found that I had once retweeted Mike Cernovich. I don't even remember what I tweeted. I wasn't active on Twitter much. I'm still not dun, very active dun, on Twitter. Dun. Right. <laughs> yeah. I retweeted Mike Cernovich. So she proceeded to go around and tell the industry that um, I was a Nazi and that my business partner was a Nazi. And she convinced people that like we were horrible Nazi white supremacists um, because I had retweeted Mike Cernovich. And that was the only reason we didn't invest in her. And um, we were about to do our next fund and we were gonna bring another partner in and my, the three of us sat down and the other partner who's still a really good friend of mine said to me, I love you, man, but if we're gonna do this fund, um, you gotta just shut up on social media. You can't speak your mind. You just gotta be quiet because we're not gonna succeed. We will get, he rightly knew that we would get lynched by the mob. And uh, I decided my time in Silicon Valley could be over. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't shut up. Uh, I it's not that I can't shut up. I do like to talk. I do like to, I have opinions about everything. I can't be told that I'm not allowed to say them. That's what I can't like. I 
that's not okay. And and I saw the world, and I have a kid now, and so I saw the world going to hell, that this country going to hell, and I thought about my daughter's future, and I was like, there's no way that I can just shut up. And so I thought, well, if I have to speak my mind, I've gotta just speak my mind, and that has to be my job, because I can't get any other job. No one in Silicon Valley is gonna to wanna to work with me. I'm gonna burn every bridge on the face of the planet as soon as I, like, double down on retweeting Mike Cernovich. <laughs> as soon as I talk about anything and, and state my wrong think opinions, I'm screwed. So I decided just to do that. And I didn't know what would happen with this podcast. And so I just started doing it. And, um, you know, it was shitty at first and uh, <laughs> still could improve, but it's much better. Found Carrie. Carrie uh, brought a lot to that I don't have that is desperately needed to this conversation, and she's awesome and helped. And she was there basically at the beginning. I mean, it started beforehand, but we didn't really do much until Carrie joined. So um, that's my story. I did see someone in, sin, in chat say, uh, Carter hasn't evolved, LOL. That's the short story. Kind of true. I mean, it's not that I haven't evolved. I have, I have my positions have evolved and I have changed, but I'm not... Uh, you have evolved not, on personal issues. I've, I've evolved in a lot of personal ways. I have changed my position on lots of things. However, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I have been married to reason and evidence for two decades. Like, that doesn't need to evolve. Uh, I am in my 40s. I'm, I've thought through things way more than most people. That doesn't make me smarter. I just, like, I'm just saying, like, I've thought about them deeply, and I'm pretty solid in a lot of my conclusions. They do still change sometimes, but, you know... Uh, they don't change very often. I'm not, you know, I'm not about to be Hindu one day and Buddhist the next day and then Christian and then atheist and then left leftist and then jump to the alt-right. Like that's not, I'm not confused about who I am and what I think. So um, not everyone but agrees with me. That's okay. But you, uh, can we talk you know. about, uh, well, Carter has evolved on his, his views about monogamy. I and have, love. yes. Yeah, I would uh, say, I would say I've evolved my political views haven't evolved too much. My social views have evolved quite a lot more. Like what I think, like do I think people should be allowed to do a bunch of stuff? Yes. Um, but I've gone from thinking that that stuff was a fine idea to actually that stuff's not really a great idea. You should be allowed to do it, but uh, I don't recommend it at all. That has certainly changed um, <laughs> as I've lived my life and experienced things and like I was a non-monogamous for a while. I thought that was a great idea. I now think I fully support your right to do that. I think it's generally not the wisest way to live your life. <laughs> like there's, I could talk about that if anyone wants to have a conversation sometime, but like, you know, I, I've, I've, I went in with a very open mind about like, I'm gonna take reason and evidence where they, you know, I'm just gonna follow them where they bring me and on political issues, they haven't changed, my views haven't changed much, but on social issues, or I'll say like personal issues, they've changed quite a bit. They've evolved uh, quite a bit, Carrie, you're totally right. So, um, anyway, uh, I would say in that way, you and I are pretty similar in, um, having to try, having tried different things and, and to, to only find that they're wanting, but having to, like, I had to try certain things. I had to learn things the hard way. Yeah. I was talking about someone, I was talking to someone on uh, the other day about this and, uh, he said to me, he's one of our listeners and he said to me, I learned pretty well from like other people's mistakes. And I was like, oh, that's a failure of mine. I learned pretty well from my own mistakes, but I don't learn very much. <laughs> like from other I can watch someone yeah. else fall flat on their face and I'll be like, I could do that. I'm like, no, I could, I gotta go fall on my face. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that was dumb. Uh, so 
I don't, I'm not, I'm not good at learning from other people's mistakes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Same, same. I've had, sometimes I have to learn, I have to have the same mistake several times before I get the lesson. Although I'm getting better, the older I get (laughs) at learning it the first time around and not having to go through it again, which by the way, just to bring this back to social justice stuff, that's another reason I think it, it's unhealthy is that it encourages people when life is giving you a lesson. And if you're a Christian, you want to view it as God is giving you a lesson. But if, if you're not, and you just say, you know, life is giving you a lesson. Yep. Social justice ideology discourages you from learning that lesson because nothing's ever your fault. And it's always the fault of something exterior. These, this, the boogeyman of oppression of, of, uh, the patriarchy of white supremacy of the man keeping you down. It's always somebody else. It's always society. It's never you. And it doesn't encourage growth. And so, and when horrible things happen to you, it just tells you what, what does this ideology tell you to do? Just reinforces your victimhood, makes you feel even more like, Oh, I'm such an oppressed victim that this happened to me. You're not special. You're not special at life is a struggle for everyone. The, the, the better way to live, though, I've since found since leaving that belief system is learning how to learning your role in anything that happens to you. That's bad. You maybe sometimes it may be an act of fate that they're at, You absolutely had no role in it. But a lot of times there's probably something you had to, to learn from that or something you can take from it that that means that you don't have to learn it again. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. All right, let's let's move on to some super chats. Okay, that's, sorry, that's we have a lot of super chats. Thank you, guys. Yeah, uh, next one mm-hmm. is from uh, Cecil Charles official. Thank you, Cecil. Cecil says, "Could we investigate where SJWs aren't wrong as places to start a conversation to bring them back? If Carrie converted, more can interview one, perhaps." Uh, Hi, Carrie, Cecil. Comment I have on an this. answer. Cecil, uh, thank you. First of all, um, yes. Okay, so. The, the reasons that I was in that ideology were good. There are a lot of people with good intentions who get sucked into it. The difference, it, the hard thing is knowing the difference between them and the people who have bad intentions. And also I think the people with good intentions can change over time. I really do think this ideology rots you from the inside out. Um, but so there are people who get pulled into it with good intentions because they rightfully oppose racism and sexism. The problem is they've been told this is a belief system for fighting racism and sexism, and it's the opposite. It pushes those things into the world. So if I think it, if you want to talk to someone who's getting pulled into it, you have to figure out how to show them that you have the same concerns that they do. Um, it's it's the method of ending and that you greatly disagree with because you know what they're doing is not to, is not helping to end it. It's putting more racism and sexism in the world. So, but that's hard. That's going to be hard if they've bought into the new definitions already. That's the new definitions are intended to control them. It, the new definitions are intended to to take someone who's opposed to racism and sexism and turn them into someone who preaches racism and sexism. That's what those definitions, those new definitions are about. So I always try and I, I speak with, I try and speak very simply in the way that a child can understand. So take it to its most basic concepts, ask them, do you believe that we should judge people and treat them differently on the basis of race and sex? 
but and see what they say. say. Some of them will say yes, though. Now, some right? of them will say yes because they've already been taken on the road, but some of them will say no. And those so, are the people you can reach. Do you think, I mean, do you have a lot of examples of reaching people through a through a conversation like that? Because it seems to me, and this is what I've seen, and, and you're my poster child for this, uh, it's an emotional journey, not an intellectual journey. I don't think I could have sat down with you four years ago and said, Carrie, let's talk about what you're trying to accomplish with social justice and blah, blah, blah. Like, that had to be... Here, here's where we share beliefs, Carrie, and, and here's where you're wrong about this. I don't see any ability to listen um, because it's an emotional, it's, they're, they're, they're emotionally married to their conclusions and, it, uh, and the ideology itself is an enabler for psychological issues that like you keep, right? You keep those issues. It allows you to stay well, in your well, punk. You and I weren't super close back then, so it... You're talking, it's emotional. It, again, it, the people you're going to have the best chance of reaching are the people who you're really close to if they start yeah. getting pulled into it because you have that love already and, and they trust you and you trust them. And if they start getting, those are the people who might be willing to listen to you. If, so not if like my, a random stranger, just right, like someone, yeah. Right, like if my husband had tried to talk to me about it, that would have been the best person to hear from about it, you know? Did he? But you... A few times, yes, he did, but in retrospect, so he uh, he's Filipino, and a lot of his coworkers were um, also were were not white, and they didn't have this preciousness around like the way that white SJWs do around race and around racial jokes. He did try to talk to me about that once. He was like, "We insult each other's race all the time because we're just joking because we love each other. It's not like a." You know, that's not, not everything is meant to be like it does. It's not offensive just because, you know, there we've we've forgotten humor. We've forgotten humor as a way of making fun of your friend and like one upping each other. And uh, he did try to talk to me about that once. But overtly about my belief system. No, because I don't think he understood what it was either at that time. Yeah. You know, Yeah. so but it, but it's it, it, someone in your life who you're close to. You're going to have much better odds of getting them to listen if you approach them with love. By the way, I just realized Sockmetician joined our chat. Hi, Sockmetician. Oh, welcome. Sockmetician. He says, okay, this isn't a super chat, but I want to read it anyway because this is super cool. I'm glad you're in chat. He says, I'm afraid I am living proof that telling an SJW that their methodology is not the right way forward will never work. You cannot reach people who do not wish to be reached. That's true. That's true. I just think um, maybe I'm not saying this right. Some of them, if you're close to them, I think you can reach them. But you have to get to like very basic questions. You have to get them to think outside of just repeating what they've been told to repeat. You know, they repeat all these things like um, racism is prejudice plus power. And, um, you know, you saying I'm colorblind or I don't see color as racist. Like they just repeat these things. But if, if you can ask the right kind of questions to where they have to go off script and think for themselves and you're close to them and they love you, then you might have a chance. Like if, if, if my ex-husband were to have asked me, do you believe that the way to end racism is to treat people differently on the basis of race and sex or in the way to end sexism is to treat people differently on the, on the basis of sex, I would have had to think about that. Mm. And I think 
it, it would have planted a seed. Like that's such a basic question, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I do tend to think that there, there's a certain amount of psychological health and willingness to do introspection that's necessary first. And if you can get people to be psychologically introspective and building their own self worth, um, they will be more open to, to hearing things that contradict their beliefs. But as soon as they're, you know, if they're stuck in their, if they're stuck in their mess, like it's, you've got to be super close to them to even get them to listen. Um, and all right. one more thing I want to say, I want to caution people against this whole, for every action, you know, the, the there's an equal and opposite reaction. I want to caution people against getting so fed up with SJW ideology that you, this goes back to Cecil's question, that you get, that you, that you, that you don't want to acknowledge anything they're saying is true. Right. So mm -hmm. for example, um, I think the whole f white privilege, white fragility, toxic masculinity, all of that stuff is, is dangerous, toxic. I think it's racist to put a, a, a group of people a lot like in a in an insult like that or in um in a concept like that and just in, in such a negative way um toxic masculinity you know we would never do that with femininity right like i think that's wrong but there are, if you believe if you agree with them on some small thing and you and you factually like that's great because you can start from that point mm -hmm. so do i think being white privileges me in some ways probably um, I also think it doesn't privilege me in other ways, right? It's not this static thing. That's where they get it wrong. And and the privileges and marginalizations that we all have, they're not static. It's, it's funny because they preach intersectionality, they, which is which is the idea that we all are in these all multiple different identity categories. And so you have to look at, you might be in a privileged category here and in a marginalized category here. But they don't actually take intersectionality to its logical conclusion, which is individuality, which means you can't look at a person and judge them up based on what identity groups they're in and calculate what amount of privilege they have. You just can't do that. And and they they also don't. So here's a, here's something. Um, for example, in my life. I may have said this before, but I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, the way in which I was I have been most privileged um, is probably the fact that I was born in America. They will never oh, talk about it. Absolutely. Hands down. Right? That's your biggest privilege. Hands down. Yeah. Uh, second way I've been privileged is probably the fact that I grew up in a middle-class home with means. Um, those, those are higher, much higher privilege than my having been white in this, where we're living at this time in history. Yes. Um, in terms of marginalization, my biggest marginalization has not been the fact that I'm a woman. There's lots of others. My biggest marginalization was growing up in a home with an abusive parent. They no, they're never going to talk about that. You know, like they're never, there are, there are, there's a myriad of, of, of ways in which we're all privileged and marginalized. It's an endless number of ways. And to try and calculate those up based on identity groups is it's a scam and it's wrong. And it forces you to make assumptions and judgments based on race and sex, which is a racist and sexist thing to do. And you can't calculate, you can't look at a person and calculate, you don't know their life story. This ideology tells you you do, it tells you that every person who's a woman is one way and 
they've experienced X amount of marginalization in their life and every person who's white is one way and they've experienced X amount of privilege in their life. And that's just BS. That's not well, individualism. Yeah, that's and collectivism. E even if you could do that, uh, it's only one half of the equation. So not only do they, like if they were just gonna say, here's how we calculate your privilege, okay, but then what do you do with that? Well, the other half of that equation is they socialize the the reverse, they, they socialize the cause of that privilege. And so like, oh, so now we're gonna blame all these other people for right. this. And that's completely unjust. That's why social justice, that's why the term justice doesn't apply to social justice or it's, it's misapplied because even if you are privileged by all those things, um, that's not something that you should pay for. Um, it's not like, that's not a blame. That's not, that's not your, you, you don't deserve, people don't get punished for things that are outside of their control. They get punished for things that they've done, right? So it, it perverts the very concept of justice. And the idea that you, you just, punish people or elevate other people because this person was more privileged than you in this way. So that person gets some of your stuff like, but they didn't do this to you. And that person, like it's, it perverts the concept of justice, e even if it could be applied, it's a perversion of the concept of justice because justice needs to be based on your actions, not your random status. Justice is not based on what you happened, where you happened to be born, right? If it was, then everyone in America should be, we should all then be, having most of our livelihoods stripped, stripped from us and given away to people who are in parts of the world that are the worst places to be born. But right. of course they're not advocating for that because they don't They're not. They don't want that. They know at some level they know that it's unjust um, or at least against their self-interest, let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, maybe not unjust. Okay, let's do some more super chats. 2A self-defense law, thank you. Uh, Second thank Amendment self-defense law. Uh, he says, Kafka traps are dishonest. It is an accusation that cannot be proven false. Uh, Beavis and Butthead came up with an argument like this 30 years ago. He who smelt it dealt it. <laughs> yes, that is a Kafka trap. He who smelt it dealt it. Um, I guess Kafka trap, for anyone who's new, a great example is the white privilege book. A Kafka trap is where it, there's no way out of, they don't allow a differing opinion. If you If you say... Okay, I confess. Like, like, like the Salem witch trials. I confess I'm a witch. Well, then you're a witch. If you say, I'm not a witch, then they take that as evidence that you're a witch. Your denial is evidence that you're a witch. It's the same thing with white fragility. If you say, I don't believe in white fragility, and uh, I don't, I think this is a racist concept. They go, that's your white fragility on display. It's hilarious. Right. And, the, and for the scientists in the argument or in the in the in the audience, this is just. This is just the no-null hypothesis applied to other stuff. Like you can't have a theory with no-null hypothesis. And that's what white fragility is. That's what a Kafka trap is. Um, so uh, thank you to Frank LaSalsa. He sends us five bucks. No comment. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Frank. Um, appreciate it. By the way, we do appreciate all your support and help. You can go to uh, unsafespace.com slash donate and donate there. You can go to subscribe star, all that stuff. But you can also super chat, which we really appreciate. For as long as we're on YouTube, we will appreciate it. <laughs> uh, thank you to Kent Onufrachuk. Kent says, Florida man, Costco farter is the hero we all need. Yes. Uh, Kent, I did see your Facebook message about the Florida Costco farter. Um, I don't know what to say about that, but I guess it's a good follow-up to the Beavis and Butthead reference earlier. So... 
All right. Uh, let's see. We've got more super chats coming. Wow. Thank you guys. Yeah. I'd have to scroll way up to find them. I love that. There's so many people in chat today and new people. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Okay. From uh, Libertas26, thank you, Libertas26. He says, John Stossel just made a great video on the cancel culture. Oh, cool. Um, I don't know. I can't. I'm not going to click on it and play it right now. But uh, I like John Stossel. John Stossel's been producing great content for decades, I feel like. Um, the other thing that I saw happen recently is Tucker Carlson picked apart some of the stuff that Don Lemon has said in the past uh, as something that would get him canceled now, but he said it at a time when... He was allowed to say it. Um, in fact, he included in the Black Lives Matter uh, video that I did that was um, mm -hmm. analyzing their demands, I played some Don Lemon clips, which were actually quite good. Uh, yeah. He made some good points. He just, nowadays, there's no way in hell he would say those things. Um, next super chat, uh, the G. Schultz. Thank you, the G. Schultz. Uh, short story, Carter hasn't evolved at all. LOA, JK, yes. <laughs> I think I read cool. that one earlier without putting up on he, screen. Yeah, he did. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, Ninja Kitty, our fearless moderator, sends a super chat. Thank you, Ninja Kitty. We'll donate $1 on Monday for every chatter buying Unsafe Spirit merch today. Tell me on Monday, honor system. All right, well, I can tell you if I... Uh, we can see if the numbers are massively out of whack. So, but I think our audience will will work on the honor system, Ninja Kitty. I trust them. They're 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 generally a great audience. So, um, all right, let's do some more super chats. There's more coming. Scroll, scroll, scroll. We desperately need a producer, guys. <laughs> I know. I I do camera stuff, which I screw up all the time. I'm doing the super chat scrolls. Okay. <laughs> Westy Forty. Now, Westy Forty just revealed something that uh, makes a lot of sense um, to me. Thank. First of all, it's a huge super chat. It's fifty bucks. Thank you, Westy Forty. Westy Forty says, "This is Mike for Liberty CA from Twitter, whom I recognize. Welcome, Mike." Hi, uh, Mike. And now Parlay saying hi. So grateful you guys are gaining popularity in these crazy and dangerous times. Well, we're grateful for your super chat. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for the super chat. I know who you are. That's funny. I put those two names together now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll I've been the seeing Westy Forty, and we interact with Mike on on Twitter. So. Uh, Daniel Morell, $5. Thank you, Daniel. He says, OMG, Carrie just broke my heart. Did she say her husband? There go my chances. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's my ex-husband, but uh, you're ch I do have a follow-up. But you still have longer. no chance, Daniel. I do, yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my, my, yeah. I am not, I am no longer single. Remember we were talking for a while that Carter was going to use this show to auction me off. I wanted to use, <laughs> not, I was auction you off is, is off. a little bit strong. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to, to use it as a dating service because you were like single and you yeah. were dating horrible people and I was like our our audience is awesome why don't you just find someone from our audience uh, but you, she went outside of the audience I tried guys I tried to help you out uh, but she she found someone outside of our audience who is actually now inside our audience sometimes because he's a cool guy yeah. um, okay um uh, Steve Rochester, $10. Thank you. He says, for the new camera for Carrie fun, we need to see the mass in high res. Love the show. Hearing people honestly debate and disagree civility, uh, civilly has been a breath of fresh air. Thank you, Steve. And thank you guys for sticking with us, even when Carter and I sometimes are butts to each other. Are less civil uh, than, than you just implied, which does yeah. happen sometimes. By the way, Carrie does have a new computer with a new camera. She should be in HD. 
I am very confused about why she's not an HD. This camera is just like the other one. It's my MacBook camera. So Yeah, but I mean, MacBook cameras are HD. I use MacBook cameras all the time. So I don't know. Yeah. We will figure out. I would also like to see every pore in high res, which I'm sure Carrie would. I don't want to see every pore. <laughs> Carrie, uh, Carrie I think that's, that. Is that all of them? No, no. Do you want to read Jen's? Oh, Jen. Thank you, Jen. Jen gave us $20. She says... Coleman Hughes said it well. The injustices of history are a bottomless pit. Congratulations on 10K. Shout out to Dr. K's white fragility critique. Cool. Thank you so much, Jen. And uh, Dr. K, by the way, we don't have a date yet, but I'm going to be on her show. We're going to talk about white fragility. I'm going to be on her show again. That's going to be oh, good. Uh, hopefully cathartic and hilarious instead of awful <laughs> and depressing. We're going to make it fun. I, I'm I'm, anyway. I have uh, <laughs> respect for her because she decided – so people were like, you should read White Fragility. And I was like, you know, I just don't want to. I mean I know that sounds like childish, but I'm like I don't – there's nothing new. Uh, I know it's racist. I know it's horrible. I don't want to. Um, but Dr. K fighting the good fight was like I'm going to crack this book open and critique it. <laughs> so good for her. Uh, she is uh, – Cool. She's going to explain in detail. I guess she is Judge explaining Lott. in detail why it's bad. Thank you, Judge Lott. $12. He says, working from home for half a day is awesome because I get to see you guys live. Carter, do you understand left-wing anarchy? Apparently, it is communism without authoritarianism. How is that possible? <laughs> uh, Can you explain that? I don't – that's that's totally a you question. It is a me question. Hold on. I got to find it because you skipped one, so I got to go back. Oh, um, sorry. That's I'm right. trying to get uh, the super chats. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, okay. Do I understand it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I know that it exists. I've heard arguments for it. Um, I, these arguments amount to this, like, we can all be communists together, basically, and they and somehow people will, without the use of force, share property communally and... Um, that will happen. Magic, magic, wave hands. Uh, I'm actually all for that because a an actual anarcho-capitalist, like an actual free market, would totally allow the anarcho-commies to go off and form their own little commune and do whatever they wanted together under – like they can voluntarily agree to share all their labor and, and like that's fine. They are allowed to do that. There is no force um, involved. Now – most of us wouldn't join them on their commune, and possibly as their commune started to fail, many of them would leave the commune. <laughs> but there's nothing there's, – there would be no rule saying you're not allowed to go start a commune. Like, like You could do that, but you aren't allowed to use the initiation of the use of force. And so um, it would have to be a voluntary commune. And this is why I know people will argue uh, – and I know actually there's a couple of listeners who are uh, leftist anarchist types – who will argue, no, like, it's totally possible. You'll have, like, it's not totally possible. You can't make people do anything <laughs> without force. Like, if they don't want to do it, if you choose voluntarism, it's not left-wing communism anarchy. If you don't, if you're saying they have to behave in a certain way and there can't be private property, that's not voluntary. <laughs> that's not voluntary. You need an authority. You need someone with a gun <laughs> forcing them to do that. So, uh... Left-wing anarcho-communism is a contradiction in terms, and uh, but it, it's nevertheless possible. Just it's nevertheless pro um, 
I won't say popular, but talked about. And uh, but you know, these the people that push it are contradictions themselves. These are the same people who push social justice and like I, like they contradictions they in think, terms don't matter to these people. So because they think they're against racism, but they're pushing racism too. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for explaining that. Yeah, I mean, you're allowed. You're allowed to have again. I want to like. Free market, you are allowed to have your commune of hippies go. Good luck. If you're right, we'll start to join you. If everything turns out better in the commune than in the little free market section, people will be like begging you, can I please join your commune and give you my labor for free and not have any private property? It's awesome over there. Uh, great, go do it. Uh, I think you'll fail, but who the hell am I? You're, you're free to try that. Go ahead. Um, all right. We smoke bitcoins. Twenty five dollars. Thank you. We smoke bitcoins. It says I love both of you. You're both great human beings. Terrific show today. Well, thank you very much. Don't jump to conclusions I don't actually, about my status as a human being. I was going to say I think we're, <laughs> we're going to get into a big discussion, Carter. I always go down this path of whether human beings are good or evil. Okay. I, I don't. Th- but thank you. That's very I know nice. what he means. It's good. Thank I you. I know what he means too. Yeah. We thank are you. trying to do. Do our best. Okay, so I think we went. I think that's the super chats. Did we make? I it think that's chat? it. Thank you guys. Woo-hoo. What's in the news? I actually have something for you, Carrie. That um, it's going to bring you down, but I, I you have to know it because it's it's in your wheelhouse. It's very important to you. It's a matter close to your heart. Here it is. Okay. Hulu removed an episode of Golden Girls. <laughs> <laughs> no. They did. Um, apparently they had mud masks in an episode, which could be mistaken for blackface. Oh my gosh. And there's a Rose, who I guess is the, the like, the dumb one. Rose in she's the episode says, she says, this mud on our faces, we're, this is mud on our faces, we're not really black, because Rose is retarded. And that makes this entire episode problematic, and canceled, canceled, canceled. It's all canceled. Oh, so. gosh. Uh, I, I didn't want to be the one to break the news, but, uh, I also saw something, gosh, let me pull this up. So this is just something small, kind of like that, but, but it's evidence of how big this is, how prevalent my old ideology has become. This is a warning that's now, if you try and order the movie Aliens, on Sky Cinema, with you know the Ridley Scott film, like the the original one, the original one, Aliens. It comes with a warning now. It says this film has outdated attitudes, language, and cultural depictions, which may cause offense today. <laughs> now, now everything will cause offense today. Everything will cause. And <laughs> if you're the kind of person, imagine if. In remember in the 80s and the 90s when the the right wing Christian fundamentalists were the ones that were trying to put advisory labels on everything and tell us what we could and couldn't watch. And and now it's the left-wing fundamentalists and authoritarians who are doing it, the religious left. But, but if you're the kind of person who would have been offended if, if the like Christian fundamentalists had man, had, can you imagine Christian fundamentalists, first of all, getting all the major corporations to virtue signal radical Christianity, Christianity, like fundamentalist Christianity, that would never happen. But if they had, if they had put a warning label on this, you know, warning, this, this movie has uh, premarital sex and it has, if you're the kind of person who opposes that, then you should equally oppose this. I don't need your warning label telling me that some people are going to be offended by this movie, trying to tell me what I should think about it. It, well, it's deeply, 
Sandy Kins in chat gets credit for this, but maybe someday there will be a warning, like, warning, this video contains green socks, which could be offensive to <laughs> yes. some people. Right? It's uh, just, it's just, uh, it's everywhere. It's over the top. They're pulling movies off of, you know, they've, Little Britain, they've take, taken down. They're removing episodes of The Simpsons. They've removed episodes of, I think it was South Park. They're removing episodes of The Golden Girls. Are you freaking kidding me? Um, it, 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 these seem like small things, but they're part of a huge system. And uh, here's something else. They want to talk about all the time systemic racism, systemic, you know, sexism. Mm -hmm. If it's systemic, look at who look at what you're allowed to criticize and what you're not. Do you know what is, this this ideology has become systemic? It is baked into the system now. Their racism, the way in which they are racist and they push racism is what's systemic. Yeah, it's what's supported by the system. Yeah, no, it, you're, you're totally it, right. Totally Someone in chat says you can't say Black Angus because that's racist. Is that true? Is that a thing now? <laughs> what? Are we? <laughs> okay. Isn't it's a well? Cow. You can't play chess because that's racist. So I believe the Black Angus thing. I, I, I don't... I, oh, oh, my oh Carrie, I have something that will that you will like. That's funny. Okay. Uh, that's this is making me think of from our good friend, uh, the the best social justice warrior on the planet. The queen of all social justice warriors, Titania McGrath. Titania McGrath. Now, Titania, Titania, she helped us out. She helps all of us out. She made an exhaustive list of all the racist elements within society for us so that we would know. Things that are racist. Golf, bedrooms. Jesus. By the way, she has citations for all of this. This isn't just her list. Golf, bedrooms, Jesus, chess, Mahatma Gandhi, cartoon characters, milk, roads, band-aids, coronavirus, orcs, rice. <laughs> Skincare products, nurses, butter, applause, mathematics, <laughs> definitely that one. Front lawns, breakfast cereals, finding Asian men attractive, soap, toothpaste, white people speaking, white people not speaking, hiking, climate change, ice cream snacks, the Golden Girls, there you go, biological sex, asking how are you, the Oscars, knitting, knitting, knitters, cycling, breweries, air pollution, abolishing slavery, the countryside, the suffragette movement, the medal for the most distinguished order of St. Michael and St. George, fish, Pancake syrup, salts, traffic signals, earthquakes, classical music, horse racing, trying not to be racist, being nice, <laughs> Anglo-Saxons, Toy Story 4, Mary Popkin, Poppins, jogging, the Lake District, wives, faulty towers, reaction gifs, botany sandwiches, environmental activism, <laughs> women, science, Western philosophy, libraries, dogs, dieting, yoga, country music, scrabble, wine, shoes, having sex with black, black people, not having sex with black people, Rock music, tipping, <laughs> veganism, Dr. Seuss, robots, Charles Dickens, the White Cliffs of Dover, and Thomas the Tank Engine. I'm sure there's more, Ooh. but that is so far. Oh, there was, there, that Titania's was McGrath's uh, list. We this this relates to a game we've told people to play before. Seriously, you can go go into go into DuckDuckGo because I don't like Google, but if you use Google, go into Google, look up racist or racism and put any other word that after it that pick a word like hiking yeah and you will find articles written by social justice warriors in the legacy media and other places social justice outlets that tell you why that thing that random word you just put in there is racist i mean i i'm just racism petunias like just pick something just you will find something it's all racism yeah yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> that was awesome, right? I kind of want yeah. uh, uh, Tatiana. Oh, someone says, isn't Tatiana a satire person? Yes, she's yes. actually a male. Andrew, what's his last name? Do you remember? Doyle, is it Doyle? Doyle, Andrew Doyle. He's a comedian in, from the UK. Um, but she did write a book regardless of her fictional status. She is the author of a book and a very well-known social justice warrior. Uh, Little Ragamuffin, by the way, thank you, Little Ragamuffin, sent us a chat. She says, I like the warning labels. It helps me know what I should watch or read or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It might tell you what you should watch. Um, Beverly actually, though, said, uh, it's time to buy your DVDs. I know that's kind of a joke, but she like it's kind of true. Old people like me who have DVDs and Blu-ray discs uh, and actually... I have VHS tapes upstairs, but don't tell anyone. Um, we'll still have movies. Uh, you guys, everything will be banned from Amazon, but I'll be able to watch my... Uh, so here's something interesting that's going to happen, I think. And you made me think of this, Carter. Okay. So going forward in this cultural revolution, that year zero that we're in, and we're moving, you know, who knows where we're headed. I'm very, I remain very hopeful. But <clears throat> I think I think we're going to see... There's a word for this I think you used, and I can't remember, but we're going to see the internet, for example. Technology is going to take a step backwards in some ways. Yeah. And the internet, for example, so when the internet first started, if you wanted to find content, everybody had like their individual sites. You would go to that individual site for that content, right? You know, everybody was hosting stuff on their own sites. Then we had the evolution of big social where you have these big platforms where everybody congregates in one place and it's much easier for the sake of convenience. It's great. Like if I want to read something from someone on the right, like a Paul Joseph Watson, and I want to read something from someone on the left, like a, a Jimmy Dore, and I want to read Reason Magazine and other, just pull things in from a variety of places, I want to be able to get it all on one platform. It's easy. I just log in and see what my feed is, right? Yep. That became the way that most people get their online content. But you said something in a previous show, which I think is right is I think we're going to start to see as they start censoring more and more people and pushing more and more people off these platforms, uh, Stefan Molyneux, they just completely banned him from YouTube and now they've banned him from Twitter Yep. and they're going to keep ramping this up. And, and, uh, James Lindsay got temporarily banned from Twitter the other day. Like we're, they are moving the goalposts. They, they went after easy targets like, uh, Alex Jones at first because Alex Jones, although he was a huge fish in terms of his the size of his audience he was easy for them because they had already done a good job of he's been maligned P people don't like him there's not you know they picked right. someone that they knew there was a lot of animosity towards now they're picking people who they're moving further and further towards the middle um james Lindsay is on the left you know what i mean like they're they're going to right. they're going to go after liberals um well, they're already going mikey after banned again mikey we should have him back on the show time. he's banned a third twitter. time now on twitter right right so as they do this um, you said people are going to the internet is going to probably change a little bit. Can you tell me what it was you were saying that we're going to? Yeah. So I think I, 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 why don't I? Yeah. So I think what will happen. Look, I, I hate making predictions, but what the hell? Um, so for a while, it mattered whether you owned your own domain name, like whether you owned the domain name that that you was your business. Right. Because people would go and type in the domain name. And then, um, as I was advising tech companies for a while, the especially startups didn't have a lot of money. Like the domain name didn't matter as much because people weren't going to the domain names. They weren't going to the URL bar and typing in anything. They were going to Google. 
and they were typing in the thing. And as long as you showed up on Google, your domain name could be kind of a mismatch. You didn't need to spend the, the exorbitant amount of money to buy your domain name because they would go and find you through Google or some kind of a search engine or an app or an app store or whatever. Um, I, I think that will change. And I think what we'll, we, will, we will revert back to the original kind of internet 1.0 where if you want to hear what unsafe space has to say, you will have to go to unsafespace.com, which is why we spent money, which was not cheap to buy the domain name because uh, searching on Google may not bring us up anymore. Searching, you might search, I don't know, if you search Alex Jones on Google, do you get to InfoWars? Maybe, um, but even if you do, that's not guaranteed to last. So I think we're gonna revert to this this more decentralized um, version there, of the internet, kind of internet 1.0 almost, where people start going to uh, the URLs. And if you wanna listen to Ben Shapiro, you go to his URL. If you wanna listen to uh, Vox, you you know, the leftist stuff, you go there um, and- And maybe we'll see a resurgence of aggregators where you can plug in RSS feeds and pull stuff from different sites, right? Yeah, I mean, you may, you may, I, I mean, there's an obvious business opportunity there, right? Which is like, okay, well, as soon as that happens, you do need aggregators again. And maybe stuff like DuckDuckGo will, that will maybe propel them to be more popular. Um, but right now, uh, I don't think relying on, relying on like YouTube to keep your stuff or Twitter to keep stuff like obviously you, you can't do that and um we're gonna have to go back to that the old-fashioned stuff at least for a little while i think um so well i think that's we're also gonna see a resurgence so that you made me you made me think of that and i think you might be right that people start going back to like internet 1.0 where everybody's going to <clears throat> individual sites and i think we're going to see that when it comes to all the, the ways in which technology has um, changed the way that we consume, you know, film and uh, books, uh, I think we're going to go back to people using DVDs, perhaps more more people anyway, and people buying. Well, if books you're worried again. about Amazon yanking content, of course you are, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, people thought I was kind of crazy earlier when I would be like, "Oh, I want to own the movie, so I'm buying the disc," and it's like, and and even I got out of that habit and I'm like, well, I bought it on Amazon, but they ripped it out of your hands. If you bought hoaxed on Amazon, yeah. it's gone. So like they can take it. If you buy it digitally, they did that with hoaxed. Yeah. They took it out of your, even though you paid for it, they stole it from you. They took, they decided you didn't get to have it anymore. Yep. So someone in chat mentioned like, that if you Google Alex Jones, it doesn't work. So I'm going to try it. We'll just do it live. Maybe it'll work. Here's, this is a blank. Uh, this is a blank. Um, blank like private thing so i'm going to do alex jones alex jones wikipedia fda new york times independent so infowars the infowars site here it is it's here but it's the bottom Where of the first it? page but splc it's is the above the infowars splc site. comes up first you guys you guys splc which is a completely SJW radical left, like they just issued, I don't know if you saw this, but at a time when celebrities are retweeting anti-Semites and celebrating Louis Farrakhan, uh, instead of talking about any of that, the SPLC just went after Jack Posobiec. 
And wait, I don't what, know if you what saw did they say article. about Jack? I mean, I guess um, they tried He's to racist, say, though. yeah. And, and actually what's good about that is that a lot of Jewish organizations stepped forward and were, and pointed out how ridiculous this was, um, that this is happening. But yeah, the SPLC, Google, YouTube, Facebook, all these places, they try and elevate these ideological mouthpieces like the SPLC to some position of authority. And they try to pretend like they're not ideological mouth, like they're not propaganda. I consider SPLC a hate group, which is funny because they get to decide who the hate groups are. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Let's do a quick super chat from Keith. Keith Hackeye gives us five bucks and says, Carrie, I found out that computational math mathematics is racist. Thanks for the suggestion. So <laughs> I guess he Googled. <laughs> and I mean, of course it is because mathematics is racist. So computational mathematics is computationally racist. Uh, that would that just make sense, Keith, obviously. Jeez, you didn't need to Google that. Um, Here, can I racist. read this while you're pulling yeah. up the next one? Can I yeah, read yeah, this yeah. to you? Okay, so this is a headline on, speaking of people going to different other sites now, this is on pjmedia.com. They are a right-leaning site. Um, so the headline is, as NFL star quotes fake Hitler, quote, okay, SPLC and ADL accused Jack Posobiec of anti-Semitism. On Wednesday, now this is, a, this is a, they're doing what the leftists do, okay? They are set, trying to set the language and use the language to, steer what you think about things. So yes, this is a right-wing site I'm about to read, and they are describing this in their own way. Um, on Wednesday, the far-left smear factory, Southern Poverty Law Center, where's the lie, though? <laughs> where's the lie? <laughs> uh, took aim at OANN correspondent Jack Posobiec, claiming that his rise was, quote, tied to the white supremacist movement, end quote, and accusing Posobiec of anti-Semitism. Um, da, 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 da. some Jewish leaders defended Posobiec, condemning the SPLC and the ADL for targeting the correspondent when major black celebrities have praised notorious anti-Semite Louis Farrakhan. Indeed, the SPLC released this investigation just after Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson, Jackson shared a fake quote from Adolf Hitler warning that, quote, white Jews, end quote, planned for quote, world domination, end quote. After Jackson apologized, former NBA player Steven Jackson defended Deshaun Jackson's post, saying that he had been speaking truth. Both Deshaun Jackson and Steven Jackson praised Farrakhan. Um, it goes on, it goes on and on. It talks about um, other people praising Farrakhan, talking about white Jews and all this stuff. And where's the SPLC on any of that? Right. If they want to combat anti-Semitism, they're not, they're not, they're not. Right. Well, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's right. no. You have to give up on the idea that the left has principles that they stick to at all. They they don't have principles. This is not a principle right. battle. Um, this is a destroy Western civilization at any cost battle. I guess that's the principle. Um, but that's it. So there's no need to be consistent. Uh, they don't care. Um, why bother gives us a super chat, uh, of 10 euros 
Thank you, Why Bother? Thank you, Why Bother. Uh, Why Bother says, Romans 1, 18 to 20 are verses that say that atheists don't exist. God revealed himself, so we have no excuse. Worse than a Kafka trap. Is there something like this in SJW land already, if not coming soon? So is the question like, would there be, um, you can't you can't not be an SJW because the truth of systemic racism has revealed, revealed itself? Is that is that the question, Carrie, as you understand it? I think that's the question as I understand it. I'm just looking at those verses real quick so because I don't know them. Um, I mean, I, I think I think we are approaching that right as they as they roll out this ideology and tell everyone to read uh, white fragility, there will be some point at which social justice warriors will absolutely say, you have no excuse to not know this and to be on our side at this point because it's been everywhere. We've talked about it. It's everywhere. Um, you've gone through indoctrination, like there's no longer any, uh, claim of innocence out of ignorance, right? It's like, well, you, you can't not know. Um, so, well, yeah, I mean, I think we're already there because what they say in arguments is, you know, and I just saw one of these the other day, if you disagree with me, you just haven't, you're just not educated enough. Like you need to educate yourself, go They say, you know, I'm not here to educate you. Go educate. It's this real, um, this appeal from authority that, that this is all a fact. And if you disagree, you're just not accepting facts. And what's funny with me when people try to play that game with me is oftentimes I don't like the appeal to authority. This thread I was in, it was one very vocal SJW who was insulting a bunch of, uh, other people who were, were not agreeing with her. And she was implying that they were all uneducated and that they, you know, they haven't been to that. She was talking about the seminars she's been to and everything. I'm like, I don't like playing the appeal to authority game or the credentials game. But if you want to play it, you probably are not going to win with me. So (laughs) feel free, feel free to tap me in if you need me. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Like, like, you know, are you going to pull and and. Anyway, this goes back to newbie SJWs thinking that that they're telling you something that you just haven't been exposed to yet. Right. I, no. Honestly, it it reminds me of like the the like weird wide eyed. Um, I, I was going to say like the Scientologists or it's, it's almost like the like the the weird evangelical religions that are like, have you heard all about Zenu? Like you just haven't heard the news. <laughs> about, take your take your stress test and learn all about Thetans. It's like if you knew about Thetans, you would totally give money to the Church of Scientology. Um, anyway, uh, Judge Lot, Judge Lot gives us a super chat for twenty five bucks. Thank you, Judge Lot. Judge Lot says Stephen Hicks describes postmodern philosophy as the main precursor to bizarre modern leftism. It seems to me like the Frankfurt School philosophy might be more of a direct predecessor. Thoughts, Carter? Well, first of all, Stephen Hicks is awesome. If you haven't read Postmodernism Explained, it is an awesome book. And uh, I have, I, we are going to get him on the show. He's on my list. I may have reached out to him already or I was about to. Yeah. I don't remember whether I did it, but he's on my to-do list. Um, we would love to have him. This is the book, by the way. And we will definitely, you know, I want to do this in book club at some point. It is a, it is an, it's a stellar book uh, that will give you some insight. So I'll start by saying I hesitate to disagree with anything Stephen Hicks says about philosophy because he is way better versed than I am on any of this. So um, you're you're not asking someone with the credentials enough to make a good argument here. However, uh, 
I think the postmodernist stuff is more directly responsible for some of the bizarre aspects of the social justice left that we're seeing. But I do agree that the Frankfurt School is would I would say the Frankfurt School is more responsible for the collectivist underpinnings, like the collectivist goals, the methods themselves are maybe more postmodern, but the collectivism uh, is, I would say, probably you're right, more directly attributable to the Frankfurt School um, because, uh, you know, so at the time, you basically had, so in, in Germany, in, in pre-World War II Germany, you basically had uh, no, there was a general rejection of the Enlightenment culturally, and you basically had two options. You had the, like, we all need to be, like, we're collectivists. We are either communist collectivists or Nazi collectivists, like, we're communists or we're fascists, and those are the, in fact, that's the, for those of you who don't know, that's the origins of Antifa, right? They were the Marxists fighting against the fascists in pre-World War II Germany, and so, um, that's why they're called anti-fascists. But it's also why being an anti-fascist to them is by definition being Marxist because there was no third alternative. Those were the – that was the prevailing philosophy. And the, and all those Marxist professors and the Frankfurt School – I mean people from Frankfurt School came to New York, right? You had you had the um, – that deep collectivist mentality and the philosophy that backed that collectivist mentality – as part of the Frankfurt School, and that absolutely infected the West. And, but I wouldn't. I'm not going to go to. I'm not going to go to bat against Stephen Hicks about which had more influence and whatever. But we will have him on the show, and um, maybe we'll ask him some of those questions, and he can uh, give his opinion. I hope that's helpful. I hope that was enough of an answer. Um, okay, let's see. Where are we, uh, Jeffrey? Uh, Jeffrey Bargeron, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He says, uh, first of all, thank you for the super chat. He says, what's thank a you, better Jeffrey. option than Gmail for emails? We use ProtonMail. I love ProtonMail. You do have to pay for it because it's not free, but it is cheap. ProtonMail is secure. It's based in a neutral territory. I think it's, is it Switzerland? I think it's Switzerland. Um, they pride themselves on being secure, providing you privacy. They don't have some of the nice features, like they don't have a calendaring system, although I think they are working on a calendaring system. Uh, they have an app that works fine on the iPhone. It integrates, you can integrate it with your existing clients if you wanna have an email client on your desktop. Uh, I love ProtonMail, so that's, I mean, they don't, by the way, someone asked us the other day in uh, comments, like if we have corporate backers, no one's backing us, ProtonMail doesn't pay us crap. I wish they would cover our cost, but they don't. Um, we don't have any corporate backers. We say whatever we want. Um, so that's not me. That's not an advertisement. It's just what we use. Uh, so there's probably you know what options. pays for this show? Uh, you guys. Yeah, you pay for the show. Well, and you haven't and yet, but you're working on paying me back. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and Carter and I and my doggies. <laughs> yeah. My dogs. Yeah. But you did pay for um, Carrie's computer. The reason that yes. she can like live stream consistently now is because you guys paid for a computer for Carrie. So thank, thank you. you. Um, uh, okay, move on. Why bother? Do you want to read part. Why Bothers? Yes. Why bother? Thank you for the uh, super chat. Where is it? Yes, but it's rather not, quote, you didn't educate yourself enough, but 
you race you're racist and you know it just hiding it yeah that's that's another thing they'll do i mean oh that's this exactly is in right. reference to the romans quote that that he was asking about before no this is right? in reference to me saying how they they say you're just not educated yeah in reference to the romans quote that you're just not educated enough or if you are educated enough and you have like in my case if you did preach it for 20 years then they say well you're just a secret you know racist or whatever they just try to call you a bad person um thank yeah. you for the super chat why bother thomas knox 499 thank you can enlightenment values be advanced using postmodern tactics such as presenting the individual as the smallest and most oppressed minority well it's interesting i don't actually think that's a postmodern tactic i think that's part of the um i think that's taking uh, part of the collectivist side of their ideology and and reducing it down trying to reduce it down the oppressed like you're saying the oppressed minority thing down to individualism if you can somehow figure out how to show them that intersectionality which they push that the end result of that is the individual then yes i think you could be successful it's just a matter of getting them there trying to have that conversation like we had earlier about privileges and marginalizations and how there's an endless number of them and how you can't make blanket statements about people on the amount of privilege or marginalization they have because of what race or sex they are like trying to get them to that point though is hard i might disagree with you on that i don't i don't think, oh, okay. but, but i but i'm actually not sure what postmodern tactics means um so it depends like postmodern philosophy cannot be used to push enlightenment values because the the metaphysical even, uh, but the metaphysical and epistemological premises that underpin it are inimical to enlightenment philosophy. They're the opposite. They, they are there. So you can't, you can't get there pushing the opposite. Uh, if by tactics, you mean having no principles and using emotional manipulation and blah, 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 like, uh, that's not what he means. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what okay. you mean by tactics, right? So if by tactics you mean like the Saul Alinsky tactics, I still don't think that it would work. Um, no. So I do think that you, what you could do, which the postmodernists are better at doing, is um, appealing to emotions in order to open people up to argument and um, and doing speaking to the elephant. You could do that. Um but the idea that the smallest minority is in an individual is is not a post like postmodernism would reject that. And if you the the thing about collectivism, I, I was actually I had a conversation with someone about this the other day. Collectivism, uh, collectivism is not a uh, it's not a rational philosophy. It doesn't. So the premise that it's based on is this idea that the 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 group is superior. And if you look at, and that's a premise that's not supported by reason at all. It's this, it's this false premise that the group, the group, the group is uh, hierarchical, like a conceptually more fundamental than the individual. And the, where that premise comes from is actually explicitly irrational stuff. If you look at like Hegel and some of those philosophers that, that push this stuff, um, they view the collective and in their words, the state as the universes slash gods. They, they weren't, I wouldn't call them Christian, right? But like a, a deity's manifestation on earth is the state. And that's the justification for um, why the, the what the collective wants is superior to uh, the needs of individuals. Um, so it's not, I don't think you can get there that way. All right, you want to do tax terrorist uh, super chat? 
I don't have it in front of me, so go right ahead. Okay, I'll do it. Um, Textera, uh, thank you, Textera. She sends 10 bucks. She says, reminder for unsafe knitting tomorrow at 7 p.m. Central. Join the unsafe knitting chat for details. There are birthdays to celebrate, so please bring your own cake. <laughs> so there won't be cake. Tara, I don't know. Happy birthday, guys. Uh, yeah, there's a knitting channel if you guys want to join. That's awesome. Do you want to do the next one? Sylvia's or no? Yeah, Sylvia. Thank you, Sylvia. She says, it's both. It took the critical theory approach with anti-realist and power dynamics of postmodernism. Yes, I think I agree. I'm having to read that sentence again. The critical theory. Yeah, I'm thinking about it too. The power dynamics of postmodernism. I think that's that's a that's, I think that's a pretty good summation that I would agree with Sylvia. Yeah, which is maybe why I. But I don't want to argue with Stephen Hicks about it because I, I don't I don't know. You might know more than I do about it, Sylvia. I don't know. Uh, Judge Lot. Judge Lot. Thank you, Thank Judge you. Lot. Oh Fifty gosh. bucks super chat. He says I didn't oh. mean to come off critical. I love Stephen Hicks. No, I don't think you were critical of him. I just thought uh, the Franklin, or sorry, the Franklin, <laughs> the Frankfurt School was more foundational. Yeah. Also, for a third option, Michael Malice and Curtis Yarvin put the most blame on Woodrow Wilson and American social gospel. Thanks, Carter. I, you know what? I am curious about that because uh, I. I haven't seen. I've heard about the argument of putting the blame on Woodrow Wilson, but I actually haven't seen and understood it. So I should go look at that more uh, in detail. And I haven't done the Curtis Yarvin research. That I've started the Curtis Yarvin research. Um, I'm confused about Curtis Yarvin in some ways, but I've started the research that you asked for last time. So it's coming. So the best, the, the thing about postmodernism and, and the Marxism, this identity politics, Marxism being married, one way you can think of it, we did an interview with Helen Pluckrose, who worked with James, works with James Lindsay a lot. If you guys haven't seen it, it was a great episode of Deprogram that we did where Helen Pluckrose, I would say out of everyone we've had on the show, did the best job of, from an academic standpoint, breaking down these philosophies and how it is that they're wedded together. So I would totally go watch that. But she, one of the analogies that she made that helped, I think, helped me and helped some people to understand it better is... Um, <clears throat> and, and correct me if I screw this up, Carter, because it's been a while since we talked to her, but talking about, it, it's basically like a uh, post there, the, Marxism existed. Marxism started to evolve and change into this identity politics kind of Marxism. This is, this is the way I'm going to say it and married itself to postmodernism. And so it's like, you got, you got a lot. Now you have this new beast, right? You have a lot of Marxism in this postmodernism. Um, she just, the analogy she gave was Judaism and Christianity. Do you remember that? I don't remember that, but it sounds like an apt analogy. Yeah. So, so if you look at the original, you will, you will encounter some Marxists who say this, this whole, this isn't Marxism and they're right. It's an evolved kind of Marxism. It's it, number one, it evolved into something about identity and power instead of being about class and wealth. And then secondly, it's like you got your chocolate and your peanut, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter. It got into postmodernism, postmodernism infected it or whatever. And now it's this new, it's, 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 it's like a baby of the two. Yeah. I almost think of it as like, <clears throat> um, the Frankfurt school 
there were psych I actually think often there's psychological drivers behind the theories, right? So there's there was like a psychological drive behind the theories of the Frankfurt School and they came to a point where at which it was clear that they couldn't continue making the arguments, but there was still a psychological need for that was kind of similar and it needed to be postmodernism saved them psychologically and gave them a way to argue for something that was not exactly what mm -hmm. they were arguing for, but fulfilled the same psychological need. And, um, and so that's the, and then th that, th the kind of modern critical theory is the baby of the child of that, right? If that makes any kind of sense, which I guess is kind of what she's saying. If it's, she's saying Christianity and Judaism, it's kind of similar, I guess. Um, like there's some Judaism in Christianity. Of course. Right. Right. But not the other. You wouldn't say there's Christianity and Judaism. Right. And and I don't think. Uh, yeah, this could get very complex. I, I don't know that it's. I think a lot of this, the I think a lot of the philosophical writings and structures of the last hundred years are designed to justify. uh political and psychological desires rather than to gain uh, the truth and have an integrated system. Um, so the, the goal wasn't, they're not, they weren't like, oh, this is a, this makes sense, therefore we're gonna integrate these. It was like, oh, here's some stuff that will, can be used to justify the feelings that we have about where things should go. And so um, we're gonna use that stuff. Um, there's not a lot of consistency. Uh, even in Marxism, there's not, consistency uh it's just i think it's more hidden in marxism that marxists aren't the classical marxists aren't as blatantly anti-reality <laughs> as the postmodernists are um all right uh super chat from jason he says in defeating woke thank you jason he says in defeating wokeness it might be instructive to learn how the czechs poles and other eastern european states overthrew their communist dictatorships that's a good point. That's a great point. Um, That's a great point. Unfortunately, I I think it had mm. like they didn't kick the communists out before they were in power and ruined everyone's lives and starved people. <laughs> they kicked them out after they were in power and starved millions of people and ruined their lives. Oh, I'm thinking about the Ukraine, but still. Um, yeah, I mean, when you hit rock bottom, it's easier to fight. It's just hard to sometimes it's hard to get people to fight. Uh, telling them that there's going to be a rock bottom and they just don't believe it until until it happens. But um, it would still be good to study. I, mm. I think that's a good idea. <sighs> okay. Okay. So, so it's been two hours. Are we wrapping it up? We can. Um, can I actually, can I make, I have one thing I want to talk about and it's okay, not that yeah, long and it's kind of related to Atlas Shrugged, which is the book of the month. In a book okay. of the book of the book club. I don't know if it's a month. Um, there was the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, there's been a lot of Supreme Court rulings recently, uh, and you know, I don't want to characterize them generally. All over the map. Uh, not all great, but the latest one was a seven to not the latest. One of the recent recent ones was a seven to two ruling in favor of uh, an employer's freedom to not provide contraception in health insurance based on the idea that the employer had religious freedom and if they were opposed to the idea of contraception they didn't have to include it in their health insurance plan for employees um and 
all I want to say about it, uh, I do support the decision. Um, but what I want to say about it is I want to, I want to just leave people with a thought because I think people get this kind of stuff causes so many problems. People are like, well, can an employer tell, why does an employer have control over their employee's health insurance? Like they, they're, they, they get wrapped around the axle trying to figure this out and, and people have all these different opinions. And the fundamental problem here is your health insurance is tied to where you work. And I wanna, I wanna tell people who don't already know this why that is. Um, it's not something that arose from the free market. This is not, a free market solution. We don't, health insurance, your car insurance isn't tied to your place of work. Why is your health insurance? Well, this will ring, this will sound very much like Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> On October 3rd of 1942, FDR passed executive order number 9250 to establish the quote, office of economic stabilization. He froze wages and salaries around the country and he set prices, for, effectively set prices for agricultural products. He granted the board uh, the power to, to extend it to all forms, quote, all forms of direct or indirect remuneration to an employee or officer for work of personal services performed for an employer or corporation, including but not limited to bonuses, additional compensation, gifts, commissions, fees, and other remuneration in any form or medium whatsoever. So first he did that. First he said, executive order, we're freezing prices, you can't because he didn't want employees moving from one place to another. In fact, he says in his fireside chat, we shall be compelled to stop workers from moving from one war job to another as a matter of personal preference, to stop employers from stealing labor from each other. So the government gets massively involved in our economy and our workforce. They set price, it's the war, it was one of the worst things, most intrusive things you could possibly do. And then, and then they say, oh, well, Health insurance is exempt from being considered compensation, and the IRS will consider contributions to health insurance tax-free. Boom, what do you think employers did? They started dangling health insurance out as compensation packages because they weren't allowed to give you raises or to entice employees to come to their business through salary or anything else, but they were allowed to do it with health insurance. And so, since then, we, we went from like 8 million people having health insurance, which wasn't a thing. You would just pay for the doctor when you went to the doctor. We went from 8 million people having health insurance in 1939 to 92 million by 1952. This is the reason health insurance is tied to your employment is the government stuck its nose in this industry. And they've just gotten, that was the first kind of major intrusion. And they've just in, bullied their way into the entire healthcare system since. So uh, the reason that your employer has control over whether you get birth control for your health insurance system is because of FDR. It's because the government got involved. The government shouldn't be involved. Your employer should have nothing to do with your health care and your health insurance, but they do. And you can thank the government for that. And I just want people to be aware of the history. That's all. I'm not even going to, I don't need to say anything thank more you. about it. Let's do a couple super chats though. Uh, can you also pull up the, I want to end on a positive note after you do the super chats. I sent you three images. Okay. Just pull up the first, well, actually pull up all three of them. All right. Well, let's, well, you read the super chat that I just put up, uh, the green Henry okay. show, read that one and I'll find the, uh, thank you. The green Henry show. He says, 
can you be economically progressive but not buy into all the racism, collectivism, and identity politics of the progressive left? I love you both. Yes. My answer to that is yes. And once you start getting out of out of the social justice ideology, it becomes easier to see who the true progressives are. See, they social justice people, a lot of them sell them themselves or and they maybe some of them truly believe that they're progressive or that they're liberal they sell themselves as those two things but they're not they're not liberal it is illiberal to support censorship it is illiberal to support racism and sexism treating people differently on the basis of racism and sex it's illiberal to support violence like the initiation of force so they're not liberal and i would argue those things are not progressive either it's not progressive to support treating people differently on the basis of race and sex um but once you get out of it here are some people I, I view as true progressives. There's a comedian, Jimmy Dore. He does, I know I mention him a lot. I just really like him. We, I disagree with him on uh, a few things, and I wholeheartedly agree with him on others. And I like having people like that in my timeline because it keeps, it keeps me honest. It makes me question myself. It makes me figure out what I think about things. Um, I also listen to people on the right. And you know what's funny? I've mentioned this before. But the place where someone like Jimmy Dore overlaps with someone like a Steve Bannon is very interesting to me because I think that's where the truth is, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think they're both truth seekers. They just have different um, economic philosophies. They have different uh, philosophies about, um, you know, borders or nationalism. But they, but they, but they have the same. But they're both seeking truth, and I think they both have good intentions. And I would say, anyway, someone like Jimmy Dore is a true progressive. He's not an SJW. Um, Dennis Kucinich, I like some of what he's had to say. Look, Noam Chomsky just came out and and signed this Harper's letter, which we didn't get to talk about, uh, against cancel culture. Mm. And uh, uh, Margaret Atwood, who I admire, who's for a long time, and I guess maybe I would still say is my favorite author, Margaret Atwood signed it. Um, there were people on the left who signed it. What's funny is they signed this letter criticizing cancel culture and basically it was a call to arms to like let's let's re-engage in civil debate and discussion and what happened after the letter came out the ones who were on the left got piled on by sjw's and then a bunch of them recanted they recanted they recanted and the very act of them recanting is evidence of why the letter was needed in the first place i can't imagine noam chomsky recanted though no, Noam Chomsky, as far as I know, did not recant. He doesn't seem like the type that would recant that. <laughs> no, because he's he's a smart guy. And so somebody said, I just wanted to read this to you, Carter, because this is really funny. Um, uh, this guy said, when Noam Chomsky, well, I can't find it, but he basically said, when Noam Chomsky is t- telling you that there's something wrong with your activism, it's kind of like Snoop Dogg telling you you should step away from the marijuana. <laughs> yeah, like, you're smoking too much. <laughs> yeah, maybe you need to reevaluate where you're at. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's a so, good. That's a good point. Yeah, it made me laugh. I was like, oh my gosh, that's that's very true. Um, but yes, and answer. I, I love that question. And there are lots of progressives out there who are not social justice. We've had one uh, one of my friends on the show, Kyle Abernathy. We did a whole episode. It was me interviewing Kyle. It was on a day when Carter couldn't uh, be there. And I got to interview Kyle, who's progressive, about the difference between progressives and social justice warriors and the difference between progressives and liberals. It was a really cool conversation. Yeah. I, as a non-progressive, 
I actually don't know what people mean when they say progressive, and I don't. I wouldn't use the words liberal and progressive interchangeably. I think they're distinctly different from as far as I can tell. I do too. Um, I do too. But I will say, as much as I don't like progressivism, from what I can tell, uh, <laughs> I think it's Marxism, basically. Uh, however, it's not social justice. There, there is a difference between those two. Like, so even I, who doesn't like progressivism, even I will say. <laughs> They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Um, so, all right, let's do another super chat. The next Howard super Wolf. chat is from Roar. one of my favorite characters. And, and you want to read it, Carrie? $25. Thank you so much. He says, I love from this How You have to say Howard Work. It's from Howard Work. I did. You oh. were talking. Oh, well, <laughs> I should shut up, I guess. I don't know who this character is, so you tell me. Oh, he's the main character in The Fountainhead. Um, oh, Okay. Love the show. Carter, explain what is happening in this world very, very well from a philosophy perspective. The show gives me a lot of tools to think and not falling into bipartisan arguments. Congrats on 10K. Well, thank you, Howard. By the way, we're I, reading, as Carter mentioned, Carter mentioned earlier, we're reading, um, we're not reading The Fountainhead right now, but we are reading Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. We haven't announced the date yet for book club, but we'll, we will be doing so soon. And this is a long read. Um, if Very you're long. like me and tend to start the books late, uh, I'm talking to myself now, Carrie, don't start this book late. Don't start it late, Carrie. <laughs> don't start it late. Um, by the way, I have a suspicion about who you are, Howard Work, and if you are who I think you are, email me later because uh, I recognize the drawing. Um, anyway, this I, I want to. I have to read another quote because I'm gonna just. I'm not gonna okay. get to do all these on book club. Here's another thing that I thought was relevant. <laughs> it's another. It's another Alice Shrugged quote that I thought was relevant. There's a there's a scene where, you know, the journalists are just like, kind of like they are now, but this book was written, you know, sixty years ago, whatever. Uh, and um, <laughs> there's this event that's happening that the heroes have done something, and 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 there's this event, and the journalists are covering it, and they're all very excited. And I'm just gonna read this part. The men of the press who despised their own profession did not know why they were enjoying it today. One of them. A young man with years of notorious success behind him and a cynical look of twice his age said suddenly, I know what I'd like to be. I wish I could be a man who covers news. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's where we are today with journalists. <laughs> it's like a different profession. Covering news is unrelated to journalism. <laughs> All right. Uh, super chat from Kim Ray. Kim, thank you, Kim. She says, another great show. Have a great weekend to all the wrong thinkers. Yes. And Thanks. the knitters. You can uh, do your chat. And the knitters. Yeah. Okay. I um, think that's it for super chats, right? Are we done? I think we're done. Can you put up? So this is a very positive note. I sent you three images. Oh, yeah, yeah. You want to end on the. There's a Twitter account that someone, one of our listeners sent me and clued me into. And it, I thought it was so inspiring. And, um, it's a group of musicians. It's they're anonymous. Oh wait, no, that's 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 the meme I made of us. Ha! That's oh. the get in loser. But leave that up for a second. See, it's Thelma and Louise. Uh, you, this won't mean anything to you because you haven't seen it. But you're Louise and I'm Thelma. We're quitting our jobs to fight social justice Marxism. Which one's Louise? I, I was, Is she on the right or left? She's actually the one in the hat. Which that's more of a you, right? Is. No. Right, but no. in terms of the characters, okay. No, you would definitely be the Louise. All right. Um, I let you pick my Golden Girls character, so I'm going to have to go with whatever you want. Yeah. With. You are a Dorothy and, and you are a Louise. 
So, <laughs> so now let's bring up, now let's bring uh, up. Is it that the, one? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, okay. So this is a group of anonymous musicians. They started a Twitter account. I, I, I tweeted, I messaged with them. They're, most of them, they're on the left. And they've started a group. That, it's called Musicians Against Woke Ideology. We are a small group of people who work in the music industry. We have seen and spoken to people all over the Western world who are seeing music communities crumble due to the intersectionalists telling you how to think and what to do. We are here to talk to musicians and reach out. We still believe that there are racial injustices in the world, but also believe the way forward is to work together as a society and as a community. And it doesn't matter what your skin color is or if you are male or female. Oh, the we fact that they the only had two genders is going to be a problem right there, but okay. It, for the SJWs, yes. Well, yeah. Everything they're saying is going to be a problem with SJWs. Yeah. We see the racism happening in the classic sense, but we also see the racism happening within woke ideology, and we are standing apart from it. And it, and it goes on. I just posted the first three, but they, they have a whole Twitter thread. You can read all of their views, read their whole statement. And I thought this is so inspiring because, as we mentioned earlier, we need people to fight the culture war. This is a culture war. This Marxist revolution that's happening currently in 2020 in the United States, it started philosophically and then it's like Carter says, um, you know, politics is downstream from culture, culture's downstream from philosophy. It started philosophically, it bled into culture, it is a culture war. I don't believe that we can fight it through politics. I mean, I think we can do what we can in politics, but that's not where the battle's happening. It's happening culturally. And we need people who are artists, like musicians, comedians, inter actors, um, poets. We need people, authors, like to to speak up against it. And so this was very inspiring. And I hope we see the same thing with comedians soon. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I'm going to share a non-super chat, but it's funny. Uh, Rodzilla says, it, the, it's cancel quickening. There can be only one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the quickening. The quickening is happening. For those of you who don't know, go watch Highlander. Uh, there can be only one. Uh, only one later. All right, only one left. Carrie, I think it's definitely time to wrap the show up. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to be guesting on a show in about an hour. I'm not sure if it's live or not. If it is, I'll post about it. But uh, I got to go. Cool. I've enjoyed talking yeah. with you. You too. We've got a few shows coming out, so stay tuned. One this weekend, hopefully on Sunday. And, um, yeah, thank you for helping us get to 10K. Where's, I'm trying to point to the thing over my shoulder. There you go. <laughs> thank you for helping us get to 10K. Um, and this is just the beginning. We're going to go a lot farther, and Carrie will have a kick-ass camera by the time this is all done. And, uh, and also, thank you to our two hate viewers who, I guess, didn't join us today because I'm looking at – we have 127 thumbs up. Uh -oh. and. Where's our two thumbs down? Someone They're go not thumb us down. Here. This is this is. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Where are those guys? <laughs> All right. Well, guys. thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you on Monday. Take care. Bye. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, 
please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. I have calculated a 97.8% chance that these are all rushing bots. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Why not subscribe to the Washington Post? They use high-quality ink. Their type font is unbiased. That last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.